You're listening to episode 204 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Motherfuckers, I'm back and oh. you would not believe where I've been. Oh, no. You know what, Kale? Yeah. No one cares. <laughs> Kale, the, the problem is I would believe where you've been and it's Europe. It's the same as it always is. Whatever. New Zealand for some reason. Who cares? I feel like you're back early. Aren't you normally gone like another month or so? In December. Usually, usually, yeah, my uh, COVID plans have been COVIDed. So, <laughs> you know, um, I went to visit my in-laws. Um, oh, they have um, great, great nicknames for me. Like, uh, you're a disappointment. Get out of my house. I wish my daughter married somebody else. Oh, sounds them. like all the same nicknames I have for you. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, oh, also, I brought, I brought Mark. Oh, Mark! <laughs> oh, hey, Mark! See, now that feels like it's worth it that you came back. What's up, Mark? <laughs> one good, hey one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today on the show, we we got rid of Phil. Uh, we said, you know what? <laughs> Screw that dude. And uh, we, you know, we brought on Mark, Mark Bouchard, uh, writer, editor of. Let me see. The, I think the the biggest thing that you've done is everything is going wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was a hit. I feel like I saw that in spaces that weren't like because you know we've known each other for a while now. We're, yeah. we're all friendly, but I saw that in spaces that weren't related to us, and mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Um, but you've also done several other things. Uh, let's see. I've got your website here. Uh, you've done. <laughs> Uh, you've done Corpus, uh, Dead Beats with a Wave Blue World. Yes, with those people that was that, that was cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And you are one half of Coffee Breath Press. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a new thing we're starting. Uh, myself and Shelby Criswell. Uh, so we're just going to be putting out some books by us as well as books by other people. Um, and this book that I'm doing now is the first Coffee Breath book. Uh, well, everything was going wrong was like, is legally a Coffee Breath Press book? We didn't put the logo on it at that time, um, just because it had been something that like I solely uh, organized. Okay. And yeah, so you do have a new project that uh, we're here to talk about today. Among other things, we're going we're gonna to shoot this shit. We're going to have a blast. Um, but we're also going to be talking about It Took Luke. Which mm-hmm. is a very interesting book that I'm I'm very uh, excited to talk about. It's going up on Kickstarter, right? Yeah. What What's the date on that? Give the people the date. September 28th. It's a Monday. So oh, if you're yeah. listening to this, the day it drops, it's one week from uh, from today. Yeah. So you guys are definitely gonna want to check that out, especially after you hear what the book is about. But. Before we get into all that, I do want to let you guys at home know where you can find the Comics Pals. Of course, we are all over the internet. You type that into your Google machine and we will come up on social media. We are at the Comics Pals. If you want to talk to us, you can write to us at thecomicspals.gmail.com. Of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, we thank you very, very much. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe button, share the video with your friends, like, comment, all that jazz. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Last but not least, 
join our Discord server. We are always having a blast over there. Come hang out with us. That's where we carry the conversation over from the show over to the Discord. And we're always somehow talking about weeb stuff. Like the Hell weeb yeah, channel boy. on our Discord server is more popping than anything, and I don't know why. Because it's good shit. There are four people in there that talk, and they're always talking about Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Ball's the good shit. I it's think- the most Phil has ever talked in it. Ever. <laughs> he, the only he time participate in any other chat and i know for a fact that's one of two animes he's like ever watched (laughs) in his life period we have a whole wrestling chat i've seen him posted maybe once you put a tweet in there oh god good great you know (laughs) so mark now when when we met uh all of us were working uh for a place that shall not be named and there was an initiative there to uh, have some of the the people who worked there uh, put together comics. And I remember that you – I don't remember what the book was. That was just – that was a while ago. But I remember that you had one, right? You were yeah. involved in that. Mm-hmm. And of all of the people who put a book together, I definitely remember thinking, wow, this one's actually good. Like a lot of them were, you know, they were they were okay, um, but I remember thinking, "Wow, this one's actually good." And so, was that kind of where you got your start, or had you already been doing stuff? Um, I had been doing, I had been writing and drawing my like short comics with this thing. Uh, it was called, it was I think it was called like Teenage Wasteland, Teenage Terror. It was like a sm- a zine run by this dude who was like a lot older than me and i had to like get a fake id and like get my (laughs) like to go to the show to pick up my comps because it was like this guy like would had the zines at his like band so i had like done a couple of short things uh and then this was that was like my first like longer thing and it was cool i like i i don't have a book on my site anymore uh i don't think except for like a a couple of pages i did one issue with a small press cartoonist named caroline cash who like lives like five buildings down from me uh and uh she's like real cool and doing some cool books right now but aside from that i just like learned i feel like i made like a lot of good mistakes early and like learned Mm. how to do stuff um so i i'm really considering this book my first like like long form like debut Mm. sick Nice. The other stuff was like the mixtapes. These are like this is like the the LP. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's a good uh, analogy. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about it. Took Luke. Uh, you actually were kind enough to send us, you know, a few a few preview pages, and I really 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 liked it. Um, I'm a big horror person. Yeah, and uh, a few of us on this podcast we really dig on horror books, so a lot of your stuff actually has been up my alley for a while. In fact, uh, I remember reading Reflection. Yeah, uh, you had, you had posted it. Uh, I think it was on Twitter. Yeah, um, and I loved it. So why is horror sort of your home, or or you know what you primarily work in? Um, I think it's because, like, it just. Uh... I've always really liked being unsettled and it's less of less of horror in general, but more of like the uncanny. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, that's really where I live. I feel like um, 
monsters and the uncanny it was just sort of like been something i've been into since i was a kid uh and i just i guess i just kind of like to feel that kind of uncomfortable um like i every book when i think of books i can't put down almost all of them are horror books where i'm like just trying to figure out what's next um like the books where i'll pick it up at like nine and then realize it's one um (laughs) yeah for sure can you think of some examples like that? Like, what are some what are some favorites? For you? Uh, recently, I read a novel called The Return uh, by Rachel Harrison, and it was about it's like uh, four college best friends. They uh, one of them goes missing for two years, and then just is back on her own doorstep, like nothing ever happened. And that's where the book starts, and then things oh. start to go strange and wrong. And she's always eating raw meat after being a vegetarian for her whole life, and like her skin looks weird; it's like pulled back, and it's just like, yeah, just stuff like that. Things were things that are that shouldn't be, things that aren't quite right, um, were big for me. I like that. I me. like that you described it as that's where it starts getting weird. It's like yeah. after they show up after being gone for two years, that's when it gets weird. It's yeah. like, oh no, that's a, that's a pretty high bar for weird. It, it's real. It's real good. Um, and then uh, one of my big like favorite horror things is called "I Am a Hero." Oh yes, you, yeah, I think you told me this is a manga, right? You told yeah. me about this. Yeah, oh. it's a it's a zombie manga that's like eleven oversized volumes and it's just like i've never read a zombie thing that was this good yes uh how, or how, how far along are you on that oh, i finished it oh my god I'm, <laughs> I'm so backed up on it it's so good it's like yes. it's unreal uh it's just like uh one of the best long form things i've read ever uh if you like zombies or if you hate zombies like i, I feel like i'd recommend it it's just like a very fresh take I haven't seen the movie, but I'd really like to. They did a live action movie of it. Did they really? Oh, that's yeah. right. Yes. And I think it like it stops after like it stops at the halfway point of the book and they just like the main character makes a separate different decision that like would have ended the books if it was oh. made. So it was like a standalone thing. Yeah. Oh, that's Interesting. cool. So I really liked I really like that. I've been reading a lot of horror manga. That's like that is a uh, sort of like what I I've been reading mostly now, but I guess like my three Western comics for horror that I'd recommend outside of Hellboy, because like that's just Duh. like a ubiquitous thing, would be The Dregs uh, and um, Clean Room mm. and uh, this book called Bottom Feeders, but it's spelled like with no vowels. Uh, it's by okay. Ben Passmore and Ezra Clayton Daniels. Oh. And it's like a gentrification body horror book about like an art school student who moves into the south side of Chicago and uh, a biological security system that the building has. Ooh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It's just like insane. Uh, it's like a satirical like look at like sort of how art students like treat like communities that they come into, um, and it's just. I, I like when you can say something really with uh with the horror. Like I feel like horror is a very good vessel to communicate uh things that you have to say about just like the the conditions in which the story is set. Uh I've been reading this book called Monsters of the Market and it analyzes zombies and Frankenstein and stuff like that, but as conditions of the economy 
at the time the stories were written. That's really interesting. So wow. like peasants were really afraid of being like harvested for organs for like the universities and like medical things at the time of Frankenstein and stuff. So it was like a wow. real fear to like have your body exhumed and like dis- dismembered. Um, That's wild. Yeah. So just stuff like that, like that really provided a, like a fresh perspective to me on horror. Uh, so I've been reading a lot about that. Like I, I have to revisit the the disappearing classroom. It's like a, uh, yeah, or the drifting classroom. Sorry, uh, the drifting classroom. Uh, it's like a really long horror manga from like the early seventies, yep. but it's like particularly horrific because everything is happening to like six six year olds. Something like that. Yeah, they're oh, like they're like no. they're like younger than ten years old or something. Yeah, they're, awful. there's like they get transported like eight hundred years into the future after a nuclear waste land uh just their whole school does and like there's like a three-page sequence of like a kid being like i can fly and he jumps off the top of the building and like splats Mm. it's just like it's just like uh, yeah and it was crazy what they got away with so just like i'd love to examine i feel like that would require a little more knowledge of like like japanese history and like japanese culture Mm. at the time but it feels like one where it's like this is i really like this but it's far enough removed from this time period that like and it's a comic so yeah, I can't wait to see what the horror comics and and stories in general start to look like as they reflect the current world. Oh, yeah, and what we're dealing with now. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned that horror stories tend to have something to say mm-hmm. uh, and use horror as kind of a backdrop. And it took Luke. You you talk about how uh, one of the things that this book is analyzing is crunch culture, mm-hmm. which. I thought was a really interesting kind of uh, tag because that's not something that I feel like we really talk about enough in this society. So what specifically brought you to want to speak on that with this story? Um, Sort of like, I guess how grind culture is kind of glorified, um, I guess in all, on all industries, but I feel it like particularly with a, just like the job, the job I have now is very grind heavy. And it, so is comics because so many people are working other jobs and they're always grinding. Uh, and I have friends who are, who are at these jobs where they're sort of expected to work weekends, like unpaid, uh, especially in, especially now that they're working from home um, and just sort of all that. And like, we don't really examine like what that does to you uh, outside of, Outside of it taking up your time, we don't really look at what other ramifications that has. And that's something I really wanted to look into with It Took Luke. Uh, and uh, we see all the casualties in this person's life from working this dangerous job for long, seemingly unending hours, and then doing it unpaid as like a community service to their surrounding community uh, in their off time. So even when they're on, even when they're off, off the clock, they're sort of always on the clock and like they live in their work van, uh, after some, uh, less than ideal relationship circumstances that were brought on by just how much they work. And, and so with, with the story, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because the, the main character, uh, Sal is, they're this they're an exterminator 
And when I was reading through, you know, what the what the story was about, I'm like, oh, okay, an exterminator. That's kind of interesting. There's a story about bugs. Uh, not quite. And so you see that the bugs, uh, what this person is exterminating, are actually huge monsters. And I thought that was really interesting because it also, in my mind, plays on you know the way we think about these. <laughs> these creatures in our lives and i don't know if this is where the story is going or anything like that but it made me think about like you know when i see a roach or a rat you know maybe if i was up for 30 hours i might imagine them as this big creature trying to get me or something you know like it it just really played on my mind um and i thought that was interesting in conjunction with the idea of this being a person who is you know grinding like you said and up all the time and stuff and I just I I love that um, that connection there. Mm-hmm. So it it felt for me like because um, I I definitely work a job that is strenuous, you know, long hours. Uh, I frequently get pulled away and not able to do stuff like afterwards with with the pals and such. And and I think um, for me, it sort of felt like that is the insurmountable task that is the that, that is put pressure on for you to complete. And then you still have to, you you have to give it your all. You have to be your best. You have to be on your game. Deal with this insurmountable task. And the the, the rewards that you reap are sort of minimal. And mm-hmm. and uh, it, it felt like the monsters, to me, uh, was like, damn, this is the shit I got to do like every day. Oh, fuck. <laughs> right? Just to get paid. Like, Just to get paid, you- man. When you see a story about a person fighting monsters, it's typically very heroic and exciting, and you know they're uh, you know they're they're a hero. They're doing it for some type of maybe not altruistic reason, but typically in defense of others. But this dude, or this person, is just getting paid to do it. Like it's 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 what they do for a living, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I yeah. really like the juxtaposition of you know and the. Uh, Actually, I, I did want to ask, uh, Mark, would, would it be cool if we showed the pages that you sent us? Um, when, when would you do that? It would be on Monday. Um, can I send you a couple raw pages like without lettering? Sure. Cool. Yeah, because uh, uh, we're going to – I haven't like put this anywhere, but we're going to drop the full – we're going to drop eight preview pages like in the campaign page. Okay, great. Awesome. I mean, do you have those hand- like if you send them uh, via email, we can have Sean pop them up so we can show people. Yeah, I can stuff. I can send you the I can send you the unlettered pages like right after we get off. Okay, cool. Yeah, we can, mm-hmm. we can splice those in then. Um, but yeah, so I, I I really like the juxtaposition of, you know, this thing that, you know, to Sean's point is like traditionally heroic or at the very least exciting, you know, and mm-hmm. and has this like sense of adventure, right, of being like a monster hunter, a monster slayer. Um, and it being juxtaposed with like a bullshit, you know, nine yeah. to five that this twenty something or now thirty something uh, knew they didn't want to do four years ago, but was like, oh, I don't want to start over at twenty seven, so I guess I'll just do this forever. And I feel yeah. like that's like a very a very human problem, especially mm-hmm. you know, in for our generation, right, in this day yeah. and age. I think, and I think that that really taps into like Pete saying how so many of us feel where it's like, Oh, I'm 27. I'm so old. I need to, you know, pick something and stick with it. And I, I, I love, I love this book as, as an examination of that as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Like 
how I feel like every person I don't I can't think of a person right now that I know who's like living their dream. Exactly. You know, um, and we're all around the same age and stuff. And then the people that I know who are older, they're doing whatever they've been doing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. And I, I, I love the idea of this book kind of commenting on that as well. Again, subject matter that you don't see enough. And I love horror as a lens uh, to look into all of that stuff. What are some of the the more formative horror stories that have kind of shaped what you enjoy when it comes to horror? You talked about some of mm-hmm. your manga stuff, but was there you know earlier stuff um, that you that you liked? Mm-hmm. There was a, I don't know if I'd call it strictly a horror, but like the first. As a kid, I was like really turned off by scary stuff. Um, so like the first, I guess like horror movie or that I thought was a horror movie when I was a kid was go the Secret Window. I was like maybe like ten years old, and it was uh, a movie about a writer who like someone kept showing up and was like, "You stole my story," uh, and this guy like k- kills his dog and like does all this crazy stuff and like stalks him and like and then. It's a movie that's like, well, I don't know, like 15 years old at this point, at least. The, so the Johnny, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I was just like, I would, that was something that I was like, why have I been avoiding this the whole time? And then like, uh, things that I also got into was like, I'm not super into sci-fi, but alien was like oh, huge. And like movie. the thing was huge. Uh, and my favorite horror movie currently, I feel like is green room. Um, yeah, it like it like clocking yeah. all my boxes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's so and cool. that's a very real, and I love monsters, but that's a very real like fear. Uh, like for especially for like a like a band getting put into like like a a Nazi bar and then like having to escape mm-hmm. because they play Nazi punks fuck off and like see some shit go down. Uh, <laughs> that was just like yeah. That I I really like I really liked Green Room, um, but most of my horror stuff has been like most of my bi- the things that have been big and influential have all been like comics and manga, um, really. Um, and I I tend to go for the more uncanny, especially in movies. Like I I, I really recently I really like the the Lighthouse um, was oh, sort of like yeah like things where where you can for, sort of like you're given like eighty. 85% of it and then you're left to make your uh conclusions um just because right. of, you're not sure what's going on or uh the world building doesn't necessarily need to, I don't need to necessarily know like the names of every species of monster or like everything that's going on yeah. I think that ruins mm-hmm. horror you know yeah. like it, it takes the the mystery out of it you know mm-hmm. it, it takes the mysticism out of it for me when you like there's, I think that's the biggest sin that a, a piece of horror move or a piece of horror media can commit mm-hmm. is like when it over explains, yeah, what's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the biggest horror thing outside of comics for me would be this podcast called the Magnus Archives. Um, never heard of it. I've never encountered like a better horror thing. I don't think like it's a it's an anthology series of an archivist at like a an like a university's institution for like paranormal stuff, uh, just going through these tapes, reading them and digitizing them. Uh, and it's about, 
almost 200 episodes long. Uh, but the like for the first maybe first maybe 80 episodes, it's really just like digitizing these tapes, and then things start to pop up more frequently, and threads start to come together. Um, and it tackles like a lot of present day issues, but it also is just like an, like a, a looming cosmic horror thing. Um, and I just like I thought it was really cool. One of my favorite things you can do with media in general is like when representation is done in a way where everyone just seems like a regular person mm. uh, instead of like, look at me, look what I can do. Look how, like how much I can like flaunt that I'm using this representation that I'm like, like the world is just a diverse place. Like everyone doesn't look the same. Everyone doesn't act the same. Like when that is conveyed well, like, or just as it is, Sure. That's like, yeah. and that's the thing that they do like really well. Um, and they're just like, a, yeah, it's a, it's an insane podcast. I would super recommend it. Uh, um, actually just subscribe to it. So thank I, you. I am literally doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. The first episode is a little slow, but after that, like it really, it really, uh, it picks up. They have like, ah, uh, this, they have a monster called the not them. And that's like okay. such a good name for a monster for real. Uh, the angler fish was another one. Uh, there's, it's just like an unreal thing and it's about to end, uh, like in the next couple of weeks, I think. Perfect time to jump on. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to wait. Like I jumped on like two years ago and I think I binged like 80 episodes in like two weeks. So you mentioned representation mm-hmm. and that is an ongoing conversation. I mean the world over, but uh, in comics, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. And in comics, it's a big, big conversation. And, um, you know, we talk about it a lot on this podcast about, you know, Marvel and DC and, and how they're doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to try to get the take of, I mean, is it okay to, to, to say that you are a queer person? Is yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I love to try to get the take of queer people on where the industry is going and how you feel about the conversation as it develops around, um, you know, just representing different identities. In comics. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like mm, things are like definitely, I'd say things are definitely getting better. Um, and we're seeing like queer people being able to like tell their stories and like people of color being able to tell their stories. And it's gotten to the point, I think we're collectively we've even like higher ups in publishing have gotten to the point where like, okay, we don't need another like person just like shelling out their trauma. Like we're slowly starting to see people like being able to just tell stories about themselves and like tell stories about like being, um, and, I feel like in the inception of like when we start to get representation, it's all sort of like coming out stories and like, sure, here's my trauma, um, which is like fine. And those stories exist. And like some of those stories are really awesome. Um, but I don't necessarily want to have the same story like a hundred different ways, but and only that story. Um, one thing that I think is cool that were one thing that like stuck out to me, I guess, uh, when I, when I started making like, or when I was planning my own like longer form stuff is, uh, I was talking about like this, like representation in comics with Teeny Howard. And she was like, well, like 
sometimes like I've gotten past my books have gotten passed over at the end of the year. Like these here are like 10 queer comics things, but like all the people in my comics, like these are queer people. They're just not romance stories. Um, and that was like a, a big, that was like a big, like light bulb going off for me. That was like, Oh shit. Like I can do this. And like, like gender and like sexuality doesn't and like, like and race don't need to be like the anchor points for these characters. These can just be like what they are. Um, and they can like, like people doing stuff is like, that's where I want to be in terms of representation. And we're, and we're, and we're getting there. I mean, like we're seeing people being able to take over like bigger titles, even at like the big two, um, which is like awesome. Uh, and that rules. Um, and yeah, I think, I think like that's going to continue to be a trend. Um, I hope at least. So I'd say we're we're slowly trending upwards. <laughs> so you know, I'm really glad that you said uh, what you said about people shelling out their trauma and things like that. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest issues that I have is, uh, you know, I'm 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 a minority, but I'm not queer, and I can speak to it from my perspective of like I'm really tired of like the slavery thing. You know, I'm tired of like, oh, this character is black, so this is like who they are. So we're going to talk about like them growing up in the hood and having no father and blah, blah, blah. It's like, cool. We know that. Can they just be a person? You know, like Mm -hmm. who are they beyond that? Yeah. And that's one of the things that I got out of It Took Luke uh, from this preview that uh, you shared with us. Is the fact that this person is 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 you know they they them that's how they uh, mm-hmm. represent themselves, but that's not to this point anyways. The story, yeah. Not that it would be bad if there was if that was, but I just like the fact that like okay, that's who they are, or that's mm-hmm. that's you know their identity, but like who are they beyond that? What are their troubles beyond that? What's mm-hmm. you know what are they dealing with, and how are they overcoming what they're dealing with outside of that? And that's that's one of the things that we need right now so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, it's it's not really a spoiler to say like that stuff is just never going to come up. Uh, it's just like not what this story is. Uh, and that's like there are other stories and like other stories that I really like, and that is that story. But it's not uh, it's not a part of it. Took Luke. Um, I I told Bill, who is the artist, I told him I was just like yeah. Uh, in terms of representation, it's just they's doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. One of one of my favorite books right now. I mean, I, I believe it's 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 either wrapped or I'm not sure. I fell off because of the virus, but um, is uh, crowded. Yeah. And you know we are big Sabella fans here. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about that book as well, where it's like you have this super crazy, diverse group of people. They have a, a, a party at this, you know, queer club and there's all this stuff. And it's like, that's just what's happening. It's yeah. not news. It's not special. It is what it is. And I think when you talk about, re- when I think about representation, I think about normalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And mm-hmm. that's how you get to that. And, yeah. You know, it was a special moment. We just read, um, we just read Marauders, Marauders, Marauders 12. Uh, 
And in that book, actually, Kitty Pride, who has notoriously been kind of like the the subtext with her is that she's queer on some level, but they've never like overtly gone there. Mm-hmm. And in that book, there was a moment where uh, she did uh, kiss a woman, and that was a big deal. Not necessarily in my mind, anyways, because all right, we finally got Kitty, you know, but because yeah. that's who she is, and now we can show that, and now it's mm-hmm. on books. And, and 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 it is what it is, and I just love that. Yeah, and also that first thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, finally. <laughs> it's I know that that has been a thing that has been like teased for a while, and I remember when I like first started like following following super or when I was like following following superhero comics when like Kitty Pryde was in the Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. Yeah. That it, like people were talking about like how strange and like forced the relationship with Peter Quill felt. Um. So I think that that's cool that it's finally like happened and uh, that it felt like it felt like an organic thing instead of uh, just like a shoehorned in thing to be like just to like be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like to check a box. Like it feels like like. Um, yeah, exactly. Like tokeny, you know, just like, oh, look, mm-hmm. here, look, we're we're, I, we're meeting the bare minimum for representation. And I feel like what people have been saying about, given the people who are involved with it, especially what people have been saying about like the new X line is that it's like very conscious. And I wouldn't say like, I guess conscious is like the best, the best way to say it. It's like conscious of the world that we live in and like conscious of what the X-Men represent and like what they are. um, And like is telling really cool stories. Mm. Um, it's legitimately, I think, the most I've ever enjoyed reading the X Men, and I say that as someone who like is historically a fan. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah, my bandwidth has been super low for like I've been doing so many rereads lately. I've just fallen off of most things right now. If you get around to it, I think uh, at least getting the House and Powers like collection yeah. that they did that's that's worth mm-hmm. it. And like, if that doesn't grab you, then like you know, skip what yeah. comes afterwards. But I think mm-hmm. if okay. you if you do you know want to check it out, that's a good place to yeah. People, I know people have been real. People have been real hype about that book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're we're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's exciting to be involved in an industry that feels like it's going in the right direction in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways when it comes to that stuff. Um, But there are also frustrations, and I guess that's just what progress looks like. You know, there's good and bad. Yeah. What what books are you reading now? I always love to get in the minds of the creators and like, what are you, what do you, what drives you? What are you, Mm. what are you interested in? So the book that I'm waiting on picking up or the book that I'm most excited about to pick up is called uh, The Low, Low Woods. Uh, and it comes out in like two weeks, and it was a Hill House book. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it, it was by, funny. and I'm not usually a huge fan of like jumping on to like a, a. It's like this is the first comic that this writer has done, mm. and I'm usually a little apprehensive about like someone crossing media, like crossing the media line and moving into comics. But um, the book that she did prior to this, call, it was called Her Body and Other Parties. It was sort of like some of them were funny, some of them were touching, and like they were all horror stories. 
but like sort of reimagining. So there was like a reimaginings of like cliche horror stories. I get not cliche, but like like the the woman with the ribbon on her neck and like up the plague a plague story and stuff like that. And it okay. was just Tropes. like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She did this short story that was uh, a reimagining of Law and Order SVU. Like every episode (laughs) title was the the start of like a micro fiction, where Elliot and Stabler had doppelgangers that were evil, Um, and like Benson saw like ghosts with bells for eyes everywhere. (laughs) Yo, Um, what's this called? called Her body and and other parties, and uh, so yeah, I have I've been incredibly excited to see her take or like her like a horror graphic novel coming from her um because her work is insane um that has been one and then i've been reading goodnight pun pun as well uh it's a it's a manga about uh, this kid goes from like 11 to like 24 and it's just like a bleak heavy like the first thing that happens in the book is his dad goes to jail it's kind of like alluded for like hitting his mom and then like at the end of the one of the volumes early on his mom is like 35 and she dies and he's like i don't feel anything um it's just like a very bleak uh book but it talks a lot about god and like uh i believe the mangaka draws himself as god in it um and it's just like a it's a really like it's an examination of like humanity, but I have to take a break after every volume because of how like rough it is. Mm. Um, but I've been reading those two. Those have been big. Uh, and then I've, like I said, I've been doing a lot of rereads of just like stuff that really, uh, has grabbed me over like a long time or like revisiting stuff. Like I've been revisiting manga that the anime was like big for me. So I'm just, I'm reading Tokyo ghoul right now for the first time. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I've been doing that and, um, I reread clean room recently, which is one of my like all time favorites. So a lot of, a lot of rereads just because of like being in a pandemic and like not having the breadth to like consume a lot of new stuff. Uh, but I'm also waiting on the new, I'm waiting on the new something is killing the children love that book so much just that's the first volume. everything i've been hearing yeah so i also just got the first volume uh and yeah. i am uh i've been like saving it for a rainy day when i'm just like i just need a new western comic yeah. right now yeah. uh so i've been kind of holding off but yeah the big ones the the big ones that i'm i guess anticipating were uh are those as well as i've been waiting on to get some books from like short box and Piao studios. I've been like getting recommended them by people a lot. Uh, yeah. But the big ones, like I guess that I've been reading recently, I guess I covered most of the stuff I've been reading recently. Um, I also, uh, I've been really loving the format that we're doing. It took Luke in like the album, like the 80 page book. So I've been reading as many, as many things like at that format that I can find. So I just read, uh i just read a declan shalvey gavin fullerton and i believe i believe rebecca nolte hold on must confirm <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that bog bodies i think he's about to talk about bog bodies yeah 
Yeah, Re- Rebecca Nalty and Clayton Cowles, uh, they did a, a GN that format called Bog Bodies, yep. and I really like yeah, that. That was what we just guessed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you so, have you um, read anything from um, Junji Ito? I've read uh, everything except Tomei, because I'm saving oh, that yeah. one for a rainy day, too, or Tomei. Yeah, I'm saving that one for a rainy day as well. Um, there's, a, there's a new collection I just got. I think yes. it's called Venus in the Blind Spot. Mm-hmm. I'm saving, w- similar to you, I'm saving that one for a rainy day. I wasn't sure if I'd read, I feel like I'd read some of the stories in that. I wasn't sure. So I have to like look into it, um, mm. but I'm sure there's like new content bundled, so I have to get it. Um, but I have everything else that he's done. Um, I think my favorite is Shiver. Like, Shiver's Shiver great. just like, Shiver That's is great. insane. Uh, I really am looking forward to, I think he has a new like thing being translated into English. In the next oh, year, really? cool. like a, a fuller, like a full length GN. Uh, yeah. And I've been on the lookout since I found it. One of my roommates speaks like enough Japanese that he can like translate stuff for me. Uh, like as much as I can read Dragon Ball in French, right? Like you get sure. the gist of it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and so there's a story. There was an anthology done for I Am a Hero where eight different mangaka did like 10 to like 24 page comics set in the universe of i am a hero and junji ito did one what yeah so and it's only in japanese so i want to find it really bad because they're all just like a day in the life during a zombie apocalypse as opposed to like the ongoing arc yeah i love i love um that kind of anthology story of Mm -hmm. just like the mundane angle of something very fantastical or insane like that yeah um but you mentioned something just before about how you're reading a lot of these like kind of like 80 page like novella graphic novels mm-hmm. and obviously you know through this conversation you've name dropped a bunch of of manga and and stuff that has been an, a big influence on you and i feel like that style like definitely comes across a little bit in in what we saw from it took luke and I, mm-hmm. not necessarily um just in the art like obviously it's it's black and white and i think that kind of helps that mm-hmm. aesthetic um with little bits of red here and there um, mm-hmm. but also just, I guess like the imagery of, you know, the actual fight we see yeah. with, with this first demon, like feels like a very, you know, um, a very Eastern kind of like styled monster. And it, it did yeah. very much remind me of like a Jinji Ito. Um, so, you know, we've been talking a lot about your overall influences for horror and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the, the form formative stuff for you, but what were the influences going into it took Luke? Like what? you know, how did you get to this place of, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of the exterminator yeah. who fights these kinds of, um, you know, Leviathan-esque, mm-hmm. you know, monsters. So initially, uh, it took Luke was like, I had like a couple of rough ideas, but the, the whole book sort of came together with like, uh, Bill posted on Twitter, like, this is my work. Like I'm looking for work. And it got retweeted onto my timeline. And I was just, blown away and was like whatever you want to do we'll do it like i just need to know what you like to draw and like i'll come back to you with characters and i had this book that i was planning on doing and i was like i have this thing or like i could take the stuff that you want to draw and like we could make a whole new thing and they were like let's just do a whole new thing and i was like okay (laughs) uh and sort of came up with this idea basically they were like i love drawing monsters i love drawing swords um and that's where that came in and i had this 
back burner idea that when kids the song by pup came out i was like Mm -hmm. oh in my head i was like this song would be so cool if the music video was like about a divorced dad or something who like (laughs) lived in an old like toyota camry and had a giant sword and fought monsters um and like that's how (laughs) he paid child support so it was like a sort of a mix between that and uh just like sort of trying to find this vessel to like trying to find a vessel for like a sword thing. Um, and then, like I said, like the alien and the thing were sort of big for me. So we'll see, you'll see like in the, the, the beginning, I wanted to start the book off with a bang um, because I feel like a lot of horror movies, uh, particularly movies start off really, really slow. And I wanted to build the world in as short of a time as possible just so like because it's sort of high concept so i wanted everyone to get what it was happening um and then i'd say that there's like this starts off with a bang and there are a couple like big fight scenes like this but for the most part like this book gets really psychological and like slow burns like um there's a persistent there's a persistent barking throughout the book and we're not really sure where it's coming from like and the characters aren't sure where it's coming from or if the or if other characters can even hear it um love that so just like um like cosmic horror stuff like um has been pretty big on that as well um just because uh like the mm, like the um, immensity or just like i guess the crushing immensity like works with that have been were an influence on it took luke uh i like you, as you can see with the monster getting kind of biblical at the end, like, uh, I will, I will shout out growing up Catholic. Um, <laughs> hell yeah. Because, hell yeah. Religion. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> um, I think things with too many teeth and, uh, too much to say are often <laughs> horrifying. So, uh, those are, those were all big influences, but I, I guess we, we tried to take with like a team approach, like BPRD was another influence. Mm. Um, but as a whole, I'd say like sort of like cosmic horror fiction and like the thing. Uh, I'm just, I'm like scanning my bookshelf when I look away <laughs> to see like what else, what else came into this? What were my, Oh, um, I really like the work of, uh zach thompson and lonnie nadler so some of the stuff that they've done together was also like just in terms of like tone um like the dregs is something i'd try to bring a little bit of the dregs like into like everything that i've done just because uh it's i think it's one of the best comics like ever made um yeah that would i guess that would pretty much sum it up but the big things that you can see i feel like would be uh, I feel like the cosmic horror influences like uh, this short story collection called Entropy and Bloom uh, is one that I read like sort of around the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Magnus Archives also just like things that shouldn't be doing the things that they're doing in a w- in in not like in a rule standpoint, but in a like my brain doesn't comprehend this mm. uh, this is like immediately averse like the uncanny valley and stuff like that um there's a lot of stuff that would be like spoilers to talk about that just like deals with the uncanny uh in a way that's like really viscerally uh, not not so much i mean it's horrifying but 
more so just upsetting uh that plays into like the relationship dynamic that it was like uh the relationship dynamic as a result of this intense crunch culture and like things like that like stress dreams and stuff like that so i had one more question about um the the monster design i guess so mm-hmm. how much of of what's on the page here was something that you kind of came up with or like that you left to bill for for the creature design like when when you hand over the script like did you describe this monster as it looked or was it just like it's like an eldritch horror type thing you know like go crazy with it yeah i said it had my only rule for this was it ha- i think initially i said maybe twice the size of a bear but it has to have a lizard frill of human arms okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and so that's like we have another large there's an, another large there's one instance where there's a couple smaller creatures in the book and that one i just said go nuts and then we have the main monster uh which is like a large mass of flesh uh it's sort of like more it has more of a uh, like a constrained shape but i'm told uh the game carrion is sort of similar okay in vibe if you've seen that um but uh it's sort of like a tangled mass of uh you can kind of see it in the in the preview image for the Kickstarter, sort of like a tangled mass of limbs that's able to move, um, and just like a st- yeah a stretchy amount of flesh and too many teeth and like elongated features that shouldn't be the way they are. <laughs> um, that sort of, that was like yeah, but uh, in terms of monster design, uh, Bill definitely takes the reins. They're like a. They're just like I don't know how they do it, to be honest. I I was really really impressed by yeah uh, by what you showed us here. Yeah, like, they are style definitely resonates with me. Yeah, they are an insane. They're like just an overall like an insane artist, uh, and I'm glad they're finally getting recognition out. Like they've just started to like pick up work at bigger publishers, um, and I'm really I feel really privileged that we're doing this book now because if had I approached them like. Even three months after I did, I don't think we'd be doing it. Wow, that's awesome! Uh, well, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you got to because it looks like some really really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, right now they're doing uh, Goosebumps covers for the IDW oh, cool. Goosebumps books. Oh hell yeah, that's huge! And they're doing a. It was just announced they're doing a Marvel IDW one shot for like the Marvel uh, Kids line. Oh yeah, uh, for like Halloween. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I want you to ask Bill a question for me. Uh, mm-hmm. On the sixth page of the the doc you sent us with with all the pages, yes, um, it's it's it starts with today's gonna fucking suck, and there's some scientists. Yeah, is the scientist on the left inspired by Professor Elm from Pokemon? Because he looks exactly like Professor Elm. And you said Pokemon Crystal earlier, and it put that in my head. Yeah, I, I'll ask because I think Bill. I I also like put that kind of together. You know who the scientists are named after, though? Who? Did, uh, so the scientists' names are Olsen and Murphy. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. It's Tyler. The long, box. The long box boys. <laughs> oh my god! That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's wonderful. So that's no. I caught I caught Murphy and I went. Oh Murphy! I was like, like Murphy. Murphy. Sure. I get that. <laughs> Oh my god! That's, that's hilarious. So good. 
I love that Murph Murphy's like an old, like angry, <laughs> yeah, crabby <laughs> old man. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh man. So the Kickstarter is going to be kicking off on the twenty eighth. This isn't your first crowdfunded uh, mm-hmm. work. No. What do not. you What do you feel about the state of Kickstarter? Kickstarter X comics. There's been a lot of conversation about, you know, bigger publishers, kickstarting books and stuff like that and how that affects, um, you know, independent creators or smaller publishers who are just, who need the money to, mm-hmm. to get the book out to people. Um, where do you sort of stand on that issue? Um, so I, I can see why people have like a huge issue with it. And I feel like my issue isn't exactly like systemic, but it's more of like, it just feels like it's against the spirit of Kickstarter mm-hmm. um, where I wouldn't like personally, I'm not, it, it communicates to me that the publishers don't have as much faith in the book as they would. And it kind of like illustrates that there is a larger problem with the direct market. If they think that the best way to get a book with Keanu Reeves attached to it, I think, which I assume is what we're talking about. Um, and Scott Snyder. I think that, so I think that with, I think those are, they like kind of are two separate situations where like a book that could go straight to the direct market. Like if a publisher is doing the Kickstarter, um, I take more of an issue with that than like a larger creator. Mm. Uh, because oftentimes like these are books that like we might not get like a yes, like publishers don't always say yes to like larger creators. And like, in this case they are, but um, this is, I felt like the Scott Snyder Kickstarter was more of like providing like an experience to like, as a result of the not having, they're not being conventions. Um, More Mm -hmm. of the rewards seemed like tailored around like an experience versus like a big, uh, a big publisher with a big name attack with big names across the board. I mean, uh, Matt Kent is a big name sure. and like with those two attached, like it's, I feel like it's more than enough to get people into shops as well as like picking up the book. Um, yeah, it just felt like a strange, it just felt like a strange way to do it. I'm sure, I'm sure it's gonna, I mean, no, I know it's made a lot of money, but, sure. uh, I think that, as a whole, it does make, I know that the people who work at Kickstarter are like, this doesn't really, it doesn't like negatively impact other creators. I don't think. Um, because if you're coming to, if you're coming to Kickstarter, you're coming and you're coming to Kickstarter to back comics, you're still going to back comics, but there are people who are like, um, there are people who were like, Sorry, I just got a message from Bill that said, no, the scientists were based off of the scientists from Half-Life. <laughs> Saw that too. Okay. Murphy looks exactly like that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we got that answer on the show. Yeah. Because yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, that would have bothered me until the book yeah. came out. <laughs> but I think I think it's like I think that right now, as we've evident, like as can be evidenced by like all the comics kickstarters that are happening right now, like I don't think that we've ever had like a better season, I guess. And whether that's because of the, whether that's because of like the lack of access to conventions, which is what I would assume it to be, because we're in a pandemic and like money is harder to come by now. Um, yeah. But people are 
like funding books and they're getting funded and like, yeah. Uh, which is like awesome. So I, I feel like I don't, I, I get, I get the like outrage at it, I guess. And I get, uh, like being mad about it, but it's not something that I feel like I don't, I, I don't feel like it's going to impact. I don't think it would impact me if like, if like Scott Snyder launched another Kickstarter, like I don't think that would impact me because we're coming for like two very different markets, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and an- another thing is like the the most like I guess the reason we're doing this book, like we're doing this, is like personally, I do I'm like not as much of a fan as of episodic storytelling as I used to be. Like I'm I used to be. I remember. I remember Pete telling me he waited, he trade waited and I was, I was like, like making fun of him for it. But now <laughs> I'm like, absolutely. Like I absolutely trade weight. I pick up one shots. I'll pick up one shots, but like, I just want the story. I want the whole story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I wanted to put something out that was like going to stand the test of time in that, like we're printing on really high quality, like cover stock and stuff. Um, like we're printing on the same, material from everything is going wrong which is like a thicker trade yeah that's such Um, a nice book yeah so we're we're literally the exact same specifications like exact same printer like i'm gonna go on uh packaging day and like pick up the books myself um it's like a family-owned printer but like we're coming for a very different market than a larger creator launching their a number like a collector's edition of a number one and we're coming for a very different market than like someone launching like those those keanu reeves books are like insanely priced like they are not insanely priced i mean you're getting like three trades but they're like if you buy them three hardcovers with the shipping i think it's like almost 200 dollars or something or more like there's a variant cover that's like really expensive yeah um and like those are just like we're coming for like very different we're coming from very different markets or for very different markets. I feel like, yeah. Cause like, I feel like that, especially that Kickstarter, right. Is like, you know, we talked about this on the show, I guess two weeks ago or whenever it popped off. And, um, I, I was making the point where I feel like that's, m- that kind of Kickstarter exists to tack, uh, to try to tap into a market that isn't going to go to a comic book store, isn't on mm-hmm. Kickstarter to back comics. They know who Keanu Reeves is and they're like, Oh, I yeah. like Keanu Reeves. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, I'm seeing ads for this on Facebook and stuff like, and I guess that I might be like, obviously like I'll, I get a lot of comic book ad- type ads sure. because of like what I say out loud around my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm sure that like other people are, I'm sure that when Bill and Ted came out, a lot of people were getting these kind of ads. Um, mm. So like, yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. And that's what the publisher said. They said that this was an endeavor to get new readers, you know, like not necessarily your weekly, you Mm -hmm. know, I go to the shop, I'm initiated, but to pull in people who might say, you know, they love Keanu Reeves and they're like hungry for whatever he does. And so, hey, here's this book. We're going to mark it up. You probably you know, are not aware of what comics should cost or what, you know, traditional pricing looks like. And, you know, we're going to hit you over the head if you want this book. And if you want exclusives, exclusive covers, if you're a collector, whatever, there's value for you there. But 
if you are a person who goes to you know your weekly store or what have you, the store will have it, and they're gonna have yeah. it first. And they, yeah, they're gonna have it first too. Like I oh, feel like that okay. was the thing um, that I I felt like got lost in the shuffle in that conversation too. Yeah. Is that the Kickstarter people get it later, and it comes to shops. I think like they said like a few months before you get it from the Kickstarter. That's wild. I totally missed that. Um, yeah, because the whole I think the whole issue seemed like shops are getting thrown under the bus, but like with if you're like really that hungry for it like i guess more of my thing is like i i'm not like gonna like finger wag at like a larger publisher for doing it sure but like i'll certainly be like like come on mm. uh like, i think that's fair <laughs> like yeah for sure. like come on like you don't need you don't need to do this i mean i don't know maybe they do but uh, uh well yeah. boom's got a reputation that they're they're uh creator royalties and and payments are a little sketchy too so yeah so that's why that was one of the like like eye roll like are kind of like side eye things where it's yeah. like what what if you need to kickstart this like how much are these people getting paid i'm yep. sure a lot of money um because this book is going to make a lot of money well and so. they're probably they're probably paying out the ass for the keanu reeves collab yeah. too see i yeah. don't know about that because like i, I remember yeah. when we first talked about it i got the impression that it was ver- more of a thing that like he was really eager to do and like he likes comics and wants to write a comic so like he's rich as fuck i wouldn't be surprised if he's not making much at all because he doesn't really need to you know yeah, he, yeah. I, I think he is like absurdly wealthy yeah i mean and and he famously like i know he like made i think it was like on the third matrix movie or whatever he made such an absorbent amount of money and he took a pay cut to give it to the effects team and stuff because he's like i don't fucking need this much money you know yeah Um, and that it just feels i don't know i feel like based on i'm not a keanu reeves connoisseur i've like i've seen the matrix (laughs) i've seen a couple of the bill and ted movies and like i understand that he exists uh like i know i know that he exists and uh i couldn't tell you things i think he was in didn't he do a Dracula movie too? Yep. Okay. What? So I, I want to watch that. that. Yeah. Can I watch Keanu Reeves uh, play Dracula? It's uh, it's, uh, it's uh, Bram Bram Stoker's Dracula, the one with um, uh, Commissioner Gordon as Dracula. Gary Oldman's Dracula. Yeah, it's it's a weird movie. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, Francis Ford Coppola. All right. the director. Okay. But yeah, like he's. I feel like based on what I know about him, like I feel like the internet likes him because he's like a good. He's like good. Yeah, he's like a quote unquote uh, good guy. Yeah. So I don't know. Like based on that like narrative, I feel like if he were like I I don't know. I guess it's like a, it's definitely like a complicated issue for sure. I don't even know if it's like an an issue issue per se. Like I just think it's cool that I guess like the bottom line is it's just like really cool that Kickstarter is become like a very viable way to do things. And it would be sad if like that became a thing publishers were using more. And it would be sad if it was like a thing that if that pushed smaller publishers and creators out, like, especially because like iron circus essentially like paved the way for like all these people to do Kickstarters. Yeah. Uh, like one my first Kickstarter for the anthology, like I, I in the like, comment section was like this was like we based this campaign like off of a campaign spike trotman ran and like we and like i see a lot of things doing that because like frankly she just like really like is kickstarter like yeah is kickstarted comics like they and like yeah 
So yeah, I'm she, really she does Kickstarters and funds them in 20 minutes. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it was when I see a Kickstarter go up for her and it's like lasting like two weeks, it's just like, yeah, that makes sense. And now they can put out books without Kickstarter. Yep. Like uh they put out Emily Reisbeck's Emily Reisbeck and I don't remember who the artist was, but they put out their It's Your Funeral, like without a Kickstarter, and they've done a couple of books without That's Kickstarter awesome. now. Yeah, yeah she's just got because, like, employees like, and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is an assistant editor now, uh, Andrea Purcell. Um, but yeah, I, I just like, I really, I love comics and I love that like, it's a viable way because like, I can't pay out of pocket to like, make this book. Um, no, but with, you know, yeah, <laughs> but with Kickstarter, I can like, make sure everyone gets the rates that they want to get um, to a degree, right? Like to a degree, I like, I couldn't do like a 300 page book and kickstart mm. it currently i don't think um if i could that would be crazy um mm. but like a book like this 80 pages uh, this time next time maybe we go for 160 you know yeah exactly <laughs> like depending on how things go like even making an 80 page book is like an expensive endeavor and we're like we're doing it like pretty i think we we can hit our goal isn't unattainable but it's still like i can't i can't imagine just like going up to a person and being like front this money right now um that's why we're hopefully gonna front the money from hundreds of people um and like that's such a cool model that like we can have that uh and we can get so many books that we just like wouldn't be able to get oh yeah i i I think that's the biggest thing about like what's special about kickstarter right is that Mm -hmm. like especially as it's developed and i feel like comics kickstarter is you know as you said like in a pretty healthy place right now um Mm -hmm. you get such a wider breadth of releases than you would otherwise Mm -hmm. yeah this book is definitely we were initially going to take it to a publisher uh but neglected to even like we didn't even like as soon as we like finished the the pitch and like the prep we were like based on the books they've done like this is just like kind of too weird of a format and like it's a weird format it's like printed at a weird size uh we're just gonna skip whatever skip the waiting period of whatever and like take it to kickstarter because like we can have weirder books well and, and couldn't you always like do it backwards too where like you release the book and then if somebody wants to pay you to re-release it or something right like that's always a yeah you could explore later yeah I mm-hmm. that's definitely like a thing uh and i've seen some people do that and like that's a an excellent way to like get your bag as long as you're not getting like a loss on your like film rights or whatever, but sure. Right. Uh, yeah. It's just a way to like, like some of the books that I've seen on Kickstarter are like, yeah, here, a book I, I bought on Kickstarter a while ago, Marie Enger's Nosferatu. Um, this book is literally just, it's like shiny. It's a hardcover. It is, it has a book ribbon and it's just 40 drawings with like one page, like one or two sentences of narration and it's the whole movie of nosferatu that's really cool <laughs> like what publisher would i don't know a publisher that would just like pick this up you know what i mean like we right. can just get crazy books like that um and yeah like that's just the the beauty of kickstarter for comics uh, is you just can, like can get these ridiculous books uh that there's obviously a market for but like they're a risk Right. And I mean, you know, I think 
I think one of the things that's like interesting about comics in general is, you know, save for like Marvel and DC, because obviously they're owned by like mega, you know, billion dollar mm-hmm. corporations. Um, like every comic book publisher is like, you know, has to be somewhat risk averse because comics are a mm-hmm. risky business in general, yeah. you know? Um, so like, it makes sense. It's unfortunate that that's the way that it needs to be, but like, you know, there are certain books that are like a, just a tougher sell than others, you know, and like it's mm-hmm. cool that creators who want to not compromise that vision and do something outside the box have an avenue to pursue. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, as we mentioned, the Kickstarter is going to start on the 28th of September. So you guys want to make sure that you check it out. I really love it. Um at least what what we've been able to see of it took Luke so far. It looks awesome. The the concept is awesome. Everything that Mark has had to say about it that we didn't get to see is awesome. Um, and so I think if you are a fan of horror, you're gonna want to give this a shot. Um, just check out the page, you know, and, and we'll definitely have a link to the campaign once that is available. Um, so that you guys can go straight to it and yeah. check it out. Um, and that's one of the coolest things too, right? Is like with Kickstarter, you can show people as much of a thing as you want them to see to entice them to jump on board. And so you guys should definitely go and check that out once it's possible to do so. Um, we will have a, a link in the description where you can go and uh, do that new thing with Kickstarter where you can follow before it launches. Uh, yes. Y'all are up to 81 followers right now. You know yeah. I'm one of them. So Hell yeah. uh, everybody go go check this out. Yeah. At, a 100, at 100, we're going to give uh, – we're going to put out the cover, the full raw cover. Which um, I have seen and it's real cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'll send it to everyone. I'll send it to everyone else after this. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Or I'll include it with the email uh with those pages. It's Perfect. uh Sick. it is ridiculous. Uh uh I think I think I can yeah, Ryan said I could use this as a pull quote. So Ryan Katie's thoughts on the cover were oh my fuck, that's fucking holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was about right. Well said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So Mark, why don't you give the people your socials and things like that um, before we get out of here? Awesome. My uh, my all my social media and Twitter's where I'm most active, but all my social media is Bark Mouchard. So B A R K M O U C H A R D. Um. Yeah, and I'm most on Twitter about comics. So if you want to find more of my comics or see pictures of my dog, the place to do that is Twitter. <laughs> Say say hi to Juicebox for us. Oh, Juicebox is right there. Get a cameo. Yes. Uh, hey, <laughs> nice. Juicebox. That's Juicebox. Silly. That's silly puppy. Right here, I can get him if you want. Yes, please. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? Juicebox <laughs> is such a cartoon character. When I when I met Mark uh, with Jess in Chicago, uh, we went to a shop and Juicebox just licked my legs the entire time we were in the shop. That makes sense. Look at this. Look at this good floof. <laughs> there he little, is. This little snowball angel. Look at this. Look oh, at he's... this floofy little boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. I love this dog. <laughs> he was asleep. He's not too happy about being woken up. 
He's like, I get it. I'm very in very high demand. <laughs> if you guys want to see what we're seeing, definitely watch this on YouTube or uh, head over to Mark's Twitter at Bark Mouchard, <laughs> and the website is BarkMouchard.com if you want to check out more of Mark's work and things like that. Thank you, Mark, so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was great. Anytime. Definitely, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. have to do it again. For yeah, sure. we'll have to yeah, have it back yeah. on when the, when the book drops and we can talk about it in full. Hell yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool, guys. Yeah, that's a cool show. What a wrap. Let's uh, let's go home. Jess has got some dinner for me. Let's... Uh, mm, not no. quite. We actually no, 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 still have... No, Sean, no, no. Yeah, yeah, bye, Kale. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you're cooking with gas, Marco. Hold okay, Kale. There's <laughs> more? See you next week. What do you no, mean not more? for you. <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> not for me? Always more comics fouls. Uh, it's a gift and a curse. I guess I've been away for too long. This is the show exactly. that never ends, never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again to Mark for joining us. Make sure you guys check out that Kickstarter. We've got a lot more show to do, so let's jump right into it with the pals polls. Starting with Marco, you chose Fish Kill number one. So Fishkill is a heavy metal book. They started publishing stuff in the U.S. a little more frequently. And I've always heard good things about like a magazine. And I've never really picked anything up by it. So this is going to be the one of the first series that they have. Nice. It's from um, Dan Fogler and Lawrence Bloom. And Ben Templesmith is actually doing some of the cover work. Oh, cool. So I love, I love his work. It's like What was the name of the imprint um, for this book? Or for this line, it was like something offensive, right? It was like no, a, I think it's just heavy metal. I th- I thought I remembered us talking about this because it was yeah, like virus was or outbreak, virus, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. That was like their like the the during, but this is like from heavy metal proper, apparently. Oh, okay. Um, but it's a uh, it's a noir story, Detective Bart Fishkill. He's going so far down the conspiracy rabbit hole that he starts to question his own sanity, even to the point of wondering whether he. If he isn't the villain in the first place, that's so cool. it's noir. Oh. That's my shit, and it's more European. Obviously, it's it's a, it's heavy metal, so I think it's a it's a different sort of flavor typically when when it comes to the way they tell stories, either sequentially or the way it's written. So I'm I'm down for it. Uh, and Dan, Dan is a Fogler, hilarious name. Uh, Dan Fogel is actually an actor in The Walking Dead, apparently, and he was in the Fantastic Beast series. So. Oh, oh my god, I know Dan Fogler. Yeah, the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's in Walking he's writing Dead? This, apparently. Oh, well. I, I remember How, What was the last time you watched that? That's true. Yeah, he could have been in like six seasons of it. I wouldn't even fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always think of him from uh, that, that dopey fucking movie from like 2006 or something, Balls of Fury. It's like a real dopey like uh like B comedy, but he's a great actor. That's a good film. Balls of Fury? Yep. Cinematic classic. Yep. Uh Kale chose Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trade. I assume this is a nice cool collab. The only crossover that matters. Yep. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers. It's the only one that counts. It's the only one other than the Ninja Turtles and the Ghostbusters, that makes absolute sense. It just makes sense. Stop trying shit. It just makes sense. The, you know, I hate to correct you on your first day back, but you're wrong <laughs> because 
one of the greatest crossovers of all time happens to be Batman X Scooby-Doo. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah, that's you got me. That's like a you guys know, I just time. I just read this today. Um there's a character in Swamp Thing that goes yeah. back all the way to Alan Moore that is canonically Shaggy's uh uncle or something. Yeah, yeah. I put that up in the in the Discord. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, did I see it? did I see that from you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what is this character's name? It's called Chester. His name is Chester Williams or something. He comes up late, like in in the later runs, but um, like the arc right after our, the, the one we read for the book club, mm. and apparently somebody wrote a comic, and he's Tremendous. he's cha- he's uh, uh, Shaggy's uncle, and like Swamp Thing pops up, and they're fighting um, what's his face Grundy. Yes. Uh, also, quickly, I wasn't here for that book club, but uh, Swamp Thing forever. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Uh, I chose low number twenty five. This is the end. Oh, is that book back? Of, oh wow! It's it's it's, <laughs> it's the end. Um, I have such strong feelings about this book. Uh, it's hard to put them into words. Uh, you know, I've been waiting to do a book club about it for a long time. For I was waiting for it to end uh, to do one, and uh, this is one of the greatest stories I've ever read. Um, and it had such an impact on me. It's really powerful. And it's so unfortunate that uh, it didn't, I mean, it, it did well enough to finish, you know, to end the way that they wanted it to, but mm. it never like really, really, really connected. It never had, like, it was never like really buzzing. Um, but Rick Remender and Greg Tuccini, I, I feel, have done some of the best work of their careers with this series. And, uh, I'm really excited to see how it, you know, how it wraps and um, just shouting it out even more because of me wanting to say like hats off to a tremendous creative team that's been working on this book diligently for a while and it did get shelved or, you know, put on the back burner um, at at various points. Um, I assume because there was more pressing work to do, um, especially for Rick. But I'm so, so happy that it got to re- resolve the way that the creative team wanted. And um, thank you to that creative team for this book because of how good and how special it is. So if you've never read Low before, it's ending now. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, following it. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And um, yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of people will find something to like in it. It is bleak. It is dark. But um, there are. It's not about that. It's it's actually about rising out of that. So, um, yeah, I, I recommend it to everybody. Do you know how many volumes? Because in the last image sale, I think I got the first say three trades that that came with it. Do you know what that would conclude at? Like I mean, volume image four books or five? are usually five per volume, aren't they? Something like that. Sounds about right. Okay. I think that's usually how they they break them up. So, so four ninety five, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got to imagine it's one of five volumes then. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always known it as like a sleeper hit, like outside of the the yeah. way you've, you've praised it, Sean. But it's it's always been one of those. It's like oh, low is there, but it, it's um, you don't hear the buzz, but you hear a good word about it. Yeah, right. Everyone I, who gives it a chance says they like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember picking it up like the first two or three issues when it was new. Um, back when I was like literally picking up almost everything that Image was putting out. 
Um, and it was one I put down for like financial reasons and was like, oh, I'll get I'll get back to this one day and then just like never did. So I would yeah. love if we did a book club, I would love a, an excuse to go back and, and really dig in. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely we will definitely be doing that at some point. Um, and then Kale, Pete, and I all chose X of Swords creation number one. Hell yeah! Where do the swords come from? We're gonna what find out. We're Where? Gonna- who's got the swords? <laughs> we gotta know. X of Swords creation number one. Who created them? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Why so, are there only ten? Because <laughs> it's all about the is- X. <laughs> This is so exciting. Um, you know, we're going to be reviewing Giant Sized uh, Storm and uh, X Men Twelve today on the show, and it really feels now like we're in the ramp up to this event. Um, we haven't had an event in the X World since House and Powers, if you call that an event, um, and certainly not a crossover type of thing since the old regime. And I'm strongly feeling the vibes that this event is going to shake things up in a major way, which is great because as good as the X books have been, there is this feeling of like, okay, but where are we going? Yeah. And I think this is what's going to tip us off to where we're going. So I'm super excited. Uh, It's going to be good stuff. You mentioned that it's a crossover. Is it a crossover with the other Marvel titles, or is it just within the the X-Men books? Just within the X-Books. Good. Good. Yeah. I I, I think it's the way it had to be, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I I guess this is like kind of a nothing statement coming from someone who's not really reading anything else from Marvel that wasn't Empire, but I kind of like that the X-Books are self-contained right now. Like, I feel like... It's working for me as a reader, but I also feel like it feels appropriate for the story because, like, they're very much in this, like, isolationist, like, mode right now that, like, Mm -hmm. I kind of like that Krakoa feels like its own little world that's got its own shit going on. And even when there is some type of um, crossover, like the X-Men Fantastic Four thing, it it feels organic. Like, I mean, that, that, that event... You know, it was what it was. You liked it or you didn't, but it makes sense why they would have to cross paths. Totally. Based on everything that's going on. Right. So, like, yeah. there was that thread was laid in fucking Hoxpox of like, oh, this yeah. is going to come home to roost at some point. Yeah. I, and I f- actually feel like that was the first of all the threads that were laid that they actually um, followed up on. Yeah. I mean, and that yeah, was, that was like true. the first yeah. or second issue of. of yeah either hops yep. or or pox so um yeah I, I'm, yeah I'm stoked about this i'm stoked about this a lot i know like we've we've talked about in the last couple episodes about how we have some reservations about like how this is going to play out and that i've really liked the the how small the x stuff feels right now and like in a big loud event maybe isn't in in like you know um in harmony with what we've been getting and what we've been liking but um I really, really trust Hickman. And if I didn't trust him before, how well uh, I, I think the X-Books have, like, maintained momentum for me and that, like, I've been interested in them for, like, two years now. Um, yeah, man, I- I'm excited to see what he does because we know he can deliver uh, deliver on an event when he's given the reins and, you know, he's got all the cards. So let's see what he wants to do. He's got all the swords. 
At least ten of them. There, there are ten. Teeny, of them. yeah. Teeny Howard has all the cards. John Jonathan has all the swords. Yeah. Wait, Gambit right. has all the cards. <laughs> well, all right. Listen. Uh, so let's get into the news. Let's talk about a major, major bit of casting. Uh, Jonathan Majors of Lovecraft Country has been cast as Kang the Conqueror. This fucking shit Ant-Man rocks. 3. Now, hold on. In Ant-Man 3? Ant-Man 3. Hey, man. No, Ant-Man. I'm just, you know, just because that's where he's getting introduced, that doesn't mean that's where the buck stops. It's going to be in the in the back, like, um, like, like what you call it was for a while, Thanos. Sure. That's actually a good point. Now that you mentioned that, it could be something like that. He might not even be like in the movie. In the movie, you know, <laughs> that's possible. Uh, this is a cool uh, casting. So I've been watching Lovecraft Country, and I've been loving it. He's a great yeah. actor in that. I heard it's house. real good. Very, it very is. good. Yeah. So I mean, I, I was excited for for his name to be joining the cast, and I'm I'm not as familiar with Kang, but obviously if if. Uh, they chose him as the actor. I, I trust his skills to bring life to this character in whatever form that is. So I, I, I I'm casting, casting wise, I'm, I'm into it. Kang can be any race. I don't think it really matters. Um, and Jonathan Majors, based on Lovecraft Country, has a great presence about him. Mm-hmm. But he's also a little bit odd. Like there's a little bit of quirkiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kang is, you know, from the future and stuff. So I love that. Um, and I think that's all fine. My reaction to this, as far as the Ant-Man 3 element, was definitely not positive at first. So Kang is a big, big villain. He should be front and center. Like, I've been on this podcast saying that I think Kang is the next big bad for... Yeah, right. Uh, yep. the Avengers. I think you said that in so, our like phase four predictions thing, like feels like two yeah. years ago now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. And so you would think that based on that, I would feel like great about my prediction being one step closer to reality, mm-hmm. except for the part where if he's cast in Ant-Man three, does that mean that he's going to be disposed of in Ant-Man three? Mm. And as I've thought about it, um, I don't, I don't believe that that's what's going to happen. And it, it it makes sense if you know Kang. Kang is not really a um, linear villain. He's not a linear character in general. In fact, Kang is not even always a villain. Kang is not even always known by Kang. Kang is Immortus. Kang is Iron Lad. Kang is um, uh, Rama Tut. Kang is uh, what's there's one other identity that he has. Nathaniel Richards. Kang is allegedly Nathaniel Richards, um, but there's there's one final one. So Kang believes. I'm gonna look it up and see. He, if I can he's find a one. he's a deep descendant of Scarlet Centurion. There you go, Scarlet Centurion. Uh, Kang believes he's a he's a descendant of Reed Richards, but I don't believe that's actually confirmed. Um, but in any event, that's. What's cool about this, too, is that Jonathan Majors is not an actor you waste either. Kang's not a character you waste. Jonathan Majors is not an actor you waste. Mm -hmm. And so giving this character and this actor the space to play multiple roles 
And not to mention potentially multiple actors playing the same character because Jonathan Majors cannot play Iron Lad. Iron Lad is a kid. He also probably can't play Immortus. I mean, maybe he could. Immortus is like the end result, like the old version of him where he's just like this old man who puts down the weapons and, you know, is just old. Um, for those of you who don't know, Kang is a time-traveling conqueror. So he he he's a, he conquers time and space. Um, and he's such a threat because, I mean, he can just straight, like, go back to before the Avengers existed and kill, uh, you know, kill uh, fucking, Tony Stark. Yeah, choke Tony Stark out in the fucking crib and call it a day. Right. There, there's a story of that. There's a story where Kang goes back to the past. I forget exact. He takes a baby, I, I believe. I can't remember what baby it is. It, it, it's, it's a little while back now. Um, but that's how malleable his character is. And the MCU's about to delve into that stuff with right. Loki. Right? right. So they introduce the time travel weirdness in Endgame. And then Loki is going to piggyback off of that. And they have that group, uh, the like time variance police, something to that effect. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so I could see that being a place where they actually introduce not Kang, but a version of him, right? Mm -hmm. Like whoever they're going to say he was before he became Kang or something to that effect. And it's possible that the reason they're making this Jonathan Majors announcement now, because Ant-Man is not due until 2022, or I don't even think it's going to start shooting uh, until that point. So we're a ways away yet in any way from that movie. And I believe the reason that they're announcing this casting so early in advance is because Ant-Man is actually not his first appearance. And they want to make sure that they get ahead of anyone who might see him uh, on screen or uh, not on screen, but on set during the filming of Loki. That's yeah. Good call. Good call. Also, I think that uh, Doctor Strange is doing yes. a bunch of multiverse things right. and that kind of multiverse of madness, time, time travel and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. They could totally mm. play around with that in some capacity too. Like I was, um, of just like showing us like different versions of Kang and stuff like that. Right. Like I was thinking, um, what if, uh, we have, I forget her name, but like Tony Stark's daughter, like take like yes. the iron lad role. And we see like an alternate version. That's her from the future or something like that. Like they could play with it in so many ways, considering like the pieces that are set up and like how malleable Kang is as a character, you know, you can really do anything. And like any of those interpretations are equally substantiated for you to have a lot to pull from. Yeah. 100%. I did want to call um, out. Um, if you're not familiar with Kang and you want like a, like a digestible introduction of the character, uh, I've called out this show before, but Earth's Mightiest Heroes was an Avengers cartoon from a couple years ago, and they have like a season arc that's all about Kang, and it's like a really, really good introduction to the character um, because it's super, super like broken down. Uh, so if like if you want a, an inroad, that's that's a great way to to check it out. This announcement it also lends credence to my theory, and it's it's not like a. I'm not the only person on earth who, who thinks this, but um, that but there is, well, you know, <laughs> um, there is a young Avengers movie coming. That's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And Kang 
has a lot to do with that, of course, because Iron Lad is Kang. Right. And he's one of the members of the Young Avengers. And it feels like they're planting seeds for that all over the place. You got Tony's daughter. You got Kate um, Bishop. Bishop coming from Hawkeye. Um, lots of talk about a Miss Marvel Disney Plus series, which uh, looks like it's definitely happening. Um, Ant Man's daughter. Ant Man's daughter, of course, Cassie. Yeah. Um, and I mean, then, of course, Peter Parker, um, right? Like Peter Parker makes a lot of sense. Well, and then know. you have uh, Scarlet Witch's children in, mm-hmm. from uh, WandaVision, who I believe will true, be coming. True. So oh. yeah. also, Kale, don't make that fucking. You never even seen a Spider Man movie. Not even one. Shut up. Not one? I haven't seen one? No. You never. sure about that? Yeah, you've never, <laughs> never seen one. <laughs> I've never seen one. I'm confident that you've never seen a Spider-Man mm, movie. I'm pretty sure I've seen one or two. I mean, you, take like, you take like four months off the show a year, you can't watch one Spider-Man movie, so you, you come back and have some breath of knowledge, but that's fine. It's almost like there are more than four movies. <laughs> I like, don't know that there are. <laughs> <laughs> more than four Spider-Man this, movies? This, mother, this motherfucker, Tom Holland's got me so worked up about him being Spider-Man and shitty. I won't even go see other movies with him in it. Wait, is he shitty? You're saying he's a shitty person? No, I'm saying I I don't like him. Oh, okay. Like as a human or a Spider-Man? A little bit of both. Oh, jeez. How could you have a vendetta against like a 19-year-old kid? No, I don't have have a vendetta. That's completely different. I have a vendetta against Mark. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm here quietly enjoying the show. I don't... I Shut your mouth! Me into this. <laughs> you guys remember what it, like what a nice couple of weeks we had? You know, no drama, no couple. fighting. Yeah, cub right last quarter, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving along to another interesting bit of casting, uh, we now know who will be playing She-Hulk. There's been a lot of a lot of She-Hulk activity, um, and now we have. A name to the or a name and a face to the character. Uh, Tatiana Maslani will oh, be playing yes. She-Hulk. Now this um, is an actor. Well, geez, um, <laughs> you're so that's excited. Her, that's her job. <laughs> so uh, Deadline uh, is the first group to put this out. Uh, she's from Orphan Black. Never have I watched that. You should. Maybe so in, or- in Orphan Black, she plays like it's a show about a woman who gets caught up in a clone conspiracy, and mm. she plays like she plays all the clones first of all, but oh. she plays like ten different versions of herself That's against so cool. herself. It's tremendous. It's That's six so cool. seasons. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's so worth your time. Yeah, you telling is me is it that. serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I know um, you hate to laugh, right? It's, yeah, you know. that's true. <laughs> you know, this is, is nothing to do with anything, but someone told me, uh, one of my friends told me that I laugh like I get paid to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Having done two, well, 150 episodes of a show with you, that is 100% accurate. <laughs> so funny. Go ahead, Pete. Honestly, I don't even remember what I was going to say. All I can think about is how much I like your laugh now. <laughs> oh, okay. I remember. I remember. Uh, I was going to say when Kale, Kale was telling me about the show on the Discord, and, and that, that definitely piqued my interest in the show, but it also piqued my interest in, in Tatiana as an actress because that's a pretty tall order, um, being able to play like 10 versions of a character like off of each other. 
is pretty impressive. So it's like, okay, cool. Like, it sounds like she's got chops, right? Like, as an actress. Um, so even though she's someone I'm not really familiar with, that got me excited for them to have landed somebody who seems like a, a talent that's, you know, on the rise, too, no less, um, to play this role and, like, really, you know, like, make a statement on She-Hulk with this this um, mm. interpretation. But also, the thing that I feel like no one has talked about is how equipped she is to play a character who changes, you know, uh, when she is um, uh, Jennifer Walters, she's, you know, this buttoned up lawyer, and then she becomes a monster, you know, and there are versions of She-Hulk that are totally smart and not, there's no difference in personality. And then there are variances in between it'll be really interesting to see if they lean on her um, history with Orphan Black to kind of show the different sides of the character she holds. I wonder if that was part of the reason they chose her, you know, is like right, they exactly. need to have that's, that dichotomy. Yeah. yeah. That's well, exactly what I think. And Orphan Black came out um, on BBC America right in that same time that like Doctor Who became popular, like really, really popular in the States. And so, you know, she sort of comes from that same uh area of actors of like david tennant and matt smith and peter capaldi who all like hit at the same time and now are like huge names because of bbc america and the bbc mm. and like you know they're uh, and and uh uh dactyl cumber cucumber benedict cumberbatch <laughs> whatever <laughs> okay John. so there is another conversation that has come up uh, based on this casting, which is a lot of people are actually really upset. What? That? Well, you know, come on. It is the internet. Um, more Because she's Canadian. <laughs> no. Oh, hold on. I can't do that. No, no. They have all the right. Um, people are upset because she is not a tall, muscular woman. And, you know, listen, I'm upset. My wife's not a tall, muscular woman. What do you want to say that you better be a little bit more quiet? When <laughs> you you whisper that, that shit, Kel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's become a topic of conversation. Uh, what do you guys think about that? How tall is she? I, the, Hulk, the Hulk isn't real. So, oh, like, yeah, that's right. Like, Mark Ruffalo isn't the Hulk. He's not a tall, muscular woman. Why? Why does she have to be? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, like Jennifer Walters isn't like buff, like in her normal like look. Like Tatiana Maslany and Mark Ruffalo. Oh, hey guys, they also can't turn green. <laughs> really? Uh-huh. Oh, I think my whole thing with this is like I, I, I feel like when you get nitpicky about that sort of thing, you're like venturing into like um like comic book guy from the Simpsons, like nerd yeah. territory for yeah. me where I'm just like, <laughs> just, I don't know, dude, like who gives a shit? Like Hugh Jackman played Wolverine for like 15 years and the dude's like six, five or whatever. Like, and like, yeah, tough. there were people who made those comments, but like Logan was fucking great. So I don't really give a shit that he wasn't short, you know, like if she's good as she Hulk, then I don't give a shit really. Yeah. And I also feel like, 
people are looking at who sh- what she looks like now like you know journey smollett who played black mm-hmm. canary she got buff she was she was pretty jacked uh in that movie and then when you look at what she looks like in lovecraft country like she definitely trimmed a lot of that muscle right um and that's a thing that actors do all the time but i mean she, uh, dude, look I, I at chris say, pratt before he was star lord he was like the he was yeah. known as the chubby guy on parks and rec you know like yeah what? sure what'd you say yeah what yeah yeah that's literally yeah, his most notable the chubby guy in jurassic park that was after mm-hmm I guess Kale's trying to say he's, he still thinks he's chubby. Still the chubby guy in insert film here. Look who's talking. Yeah, not oh. in fucking, not in, not when he's playing Star Lord. I mean, did you see his fucking abs in that movie? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's okay, Kale. We're all the chubby guy on the comics, pals. It's true. Um, not Marco, though, I guess. Yeah, not Marco. <laughs> uh, and, and, and by the way, I've seen a lot of this commentary from women. Uh, fa- you know, fans of the character or whatever who are women who are saying this, and um, a lot of the angle has been oh, representation of different body types. It's like, look, man. <laughs> so you're calling for one specific one, right? Like that's uh, that's a that's a topic of conversation that you know we can have, I guess. But there aren't a lot of you know. Like, <laughs> noticeably tall buff women who can also act really well walking around in general. And by the way, not a lot of those for men too, because we had this conversation surrounding Eddie Brock in 2004 and everybody wanted Brock Lesnar, the WWE superstar. And that would have been horrifically bad. If they, yeah, if they really cared about this, they would want this. uh, It's it's a show, right? Yeah. Yeah. They would want this show to be like the 1970s Hulk where, you have uh, the guy, whoever he is, uh, as David Banner, but also Lou Ferrigno oh. as the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, but then, but yeah, yeah. I guess you could do that. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I just think it's, it's we're 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 beyond the point of like having that kind of conversation of like, oh, yeah, Gal Gadot, yeah. she shouldn't play Wonder Woman because she's not six feet tall. Okay, fine, produce the person who has. <laughs> The acting ability fits the body type you want and also has some level of, of bankability or or you know public awareness. And then we can have that that conversation. But until you can do that, this is pointless. You can't yeah. pick a random Instagram model and say, that's She-Hulk. Okay, yeah. yeah, but they're a, they're <laughs> not an actor. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, like it, the ability to play the character well is far more important than like what you physically look like, in my opinion. You know, like... 100%. And, and frankly, I don't know. Like, I've never understood why people get so bothered about stuff like that. You know, like, it's just like, I don't give a fuck how tall she is. Like, if they angle the camera the right way, right way she's going to look fucking tall. Like, you know, it's, who gives a shit? Also, I, don't you want to watch the, the show for, like, She-Hulk? Like, you, you know, you don't... Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you watch uh, Iron Man for Tony Stark, but when he suits up, that's, like, the cell. Mm. Right, right. And it's, yeah, like... Yeah, that's a good point. And it's obviously, like, when she's when she looks like She-Hulk, they're gonna make her look bigger and, and taller, whatever. And she's gonna get cut. Like, yeah, maybe she's not muscular right now, but 
Mo- a lot of the actors in these movies are not muscular before they're a superhero. Fucking remember Kumail Nanjiani and like how that he's like, oh look, I have a fucking twelve pack yep. now. It's like <laughs> he was like, don't do this. <laughs> oh, let me get my twelve pack actually. <laughs> so yeah, much ado about nothing. Um, but I I am excited because I feel like She Hulk is such a cool character um, sure. that is dynamic um and does have a lot of different sides to her um and we need i i don't say this because i don't say this to be like oh we need more representation but like she hulk is badass like let's go you know like let's do it i would love to see this just as a courtroom drama i hope it is dude i've been saying that since we like i would love if that's like at least half of it you know that would be so fucking cool three quarters easy um maybe we see her Turn into She-Hulk. I just want her to be She-Hulk in a suit, like, but in court, and it's just like a procedural yeah. drama. <laughs> I love when they do that in the comics. Yeah, it's, it's so dumb, but like, yeah, why not? It'd be so funny. Uh, but no, yeah. To your to your point, Sean. Like, I feel like um, while I I definitely am, you know, like I'm down with the whole like, yeah, like like we do need more female superheroes. Like that's that's true. But I feel like even more importantly than that, I feel like like She-Hulk is a pretty prominent character in the Marvel universe and like, depending on the era. Right. But like, Mm. she's uh, like, I would say one of the, you know, the leading women of, of the Marvel universe in a lot of ways. So like seeing her get that bump, you know, is, I feel like, you know, totally deserved. Uh, And while it's like, it's sick that we are getting like a show about like Kamala, who's like a newer character, um who hit you know for sure like it's cool to me that like those two shows were announced alongside each other you know because it's like here's the old blood here's the new blood it's like yeah that's fucking great like she is a cool dynamic character and like i like that i like superheroes that have a background that aren't like oh like i'm a fucking i'm a black ops person or i'm a military like she's a lawyer you know like she's a normal ass person um with like a real job (laughs) like that's that's cool yeah for sure uh i can't wait i'm i'm really hyped and i hope they do a good job me too man can't wait to see lou frigno as the she-hulk you know that lou frigno's gonna he's gonna make some kind of cameo he he's been in like every thing ever made (laughs) so marvel has a secret x-men book that uh will be coming out on december 9th we don't know what the hell it is yeah this cover though (laughs) it's this non-cover it's just nothing Um, (laughs) and uh i thought we could take a couple of minutes to uh try to determine what the fuck this is pretty it's pretty obvious what it is right Okay. It's a slice of life love triangle between Logan, Cyclops, and Jean Grey. Ooh, Bro, oh yes. God. I need that book. It's the RG That's... book we've all been waiting for. <laughs> like, obviously. It's Marvel's Christmas present, literally to everyone. So. Nope. <laughs> Sean's not biting. Um, I. I don't know, man. It's interesting because, like, you got to imagine it's like on the cover, it says all will be revealed in June. So that's 
pretty far away. No, no, you, like, is it, is it, uh, like, is this old? You gotta remember. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Okay, okay. Hmm. So when is it supposed to come out? December 9th. December. December 9th, okay. So you gotta imagine X of Swords is gonna be wrapped by then for, like, a bit? Right? No. No, sure or will not. it just be ending? Probably probably in the middle of it. You think? Depending on how it comes out. Um, I feel like because it's, uh, it's it's like there's there's events or there's issues of it weekly, I believe, because it's it's like all the different um creative teams, all their books are gonna be a part of the X of Swords event. Okay. <clears throat> but even um, still Empire was weekly and it still took two and a half months. But it, it there was a there was a time when it wasn't weekly, wasn't there? But so. I, I, to your point, anyways, it doesn't matter because like six issues, right, would be a month and a half, right? Yeah. And then there was a skip, <clears throat> couple of weeks where we didn't review it. Um, so yeah, like so- somewhere around there, you're certainly right about your timeline there, Kale. This um, this is the um, December uh, pinup issue, so. Hell yeah. That's what this is. <laughs> the new swimsuit edition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I need to bring that back. Dude, Kale's the, horny on this they episode. They are. To my, this episode. <laughs> the, uh, to, to, to my jokey answer, but also uh, to what Marco says, uh, the, the Bleeding Cool article says, uh, the last time we had a comic solicited as X classified, it turned out to be Mr. and Mrs. X, a Gambit Rogue team-up book. Yeah, right. And so that, like, initially, of course, my mind was like, okay, so this is Moira. You know, it's time. Mm. But then mm. that took the wind out of my sails because then I was like, oh, well, it could just be another Mr. and Mrs. X. And I remember that. And I remember being like, really? <laughs> this is what it is. Like, this is the big secret. Yo, um, if it were a Moira book that led to something like the end of this era, I I would love that or at least the next step in it right like that would be really cool i don't know though i'm, I'm kind of with you where like ah, i don't know that that's what it would be i feel like that's a good guess though speaking of that let's nail down our our, our guesses or okay. whatever um do you anybody... have one sean what do you think <sighs> all right so here's my so here's my thought process give me the thoughts notes sean miss uh, <laughs> Damn, nice. Uh, I love it. So, um, I don't actually think that it will be the Moira book because I feel like that might be a little bit of a thing that comes later. And yeah. if you like, if you take, like, if you just move everything over because of the pandemic, uh, I remember Hickman saying that the Moira book was not, it wasn't coming yet. I feel like at that um, panel we went to, he was like, it's not in the second wave, but it's in like the third wave or something like that. Like, that's right. That we were going to get this whole other slot of the books that were supposed to replace the volume one stuff. And I think she was supposed to come at some point in that mix. I'm half remembering a panel from, you know, almost a year yeah, ago. Yeah. So, so I feel like. I feel like that might not be like whatever they're not saying it, 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 it. They're not saying it because it relates to X of swords. That's what I think. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. So 
will more a factor? My answer to that is no, I don't believe so. Mm-hmm. Now that we have a clearer picture of what that story is about, I don't think she will factor. Um, and so I think I'm going to go with, oh, man. The swimsuit issue, tough. bro. It's not tough. I, I'm going to say that it's a book about, it's a book about Apocalypse and it involves Araco in some way. Hmm. That's that's what I'm going to go with. Okay. And that's probably a long shot, but that's what I'm going to go with. I think that's a solid guess, though. I'm going to zag on that, and I'm, I'm going to go for that this is a smaller thing, and that it is more similar to, like, Mr. and Mrs. X, where it's some Ooh. kind of, like team-up book or, like, a side story type thing yeah. that's, like, self-contained, but it has to do with characters that are currently not on the board, and that's why we're not... That's why it, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery title, you know? Um, and I don't right. know who that would be, but I'm thinking it's either some mutants that we haven't heard from in a while that aren't resurrected yet, you know, so, something like that, or it is... Uh, based on a shakeup that has yet to come, right? Because I know, like, Sean threw out a theory a while ago that with the whole Araco wrinkle, that that could lead to, like, a schism, maybe that maybe development with Apocalypse in that regard. Like, it's something that is contingent upon stories that we haven't seen play out yet. Exactly, yeah. That's my thought. I think um, based off of, like, some of the stuff that happens in, in twelve. Um, and maybe that's just because, you know, it's linked sort of in my mind. Um, yeah. My thought was outside of the swimsuit issue is the <laughs> night, Nightcrawler actually like starting his religion because mm. that hasn't been something that yes. is that has been addressed. And Please. if it's supposed to be like sort of following X of Swords, there's going to be this large sort of a battle. There's going to be this whole like people are going to be lost. And I feel like that might be a way for uh, like a, a unification sort of. Mm. So that was my my thought. To build on that theory, in Marauders 12, there was a piece of dialogue between Kitty and Kurt where he was like, I really need to talk to you about something, but like now's not the time. And mm. I'm imagining that was the religion thing. And that was sure. also right at the time where he gave her her Star of David back. So that could be okay. interesting. Maybe it's like a Kurt-Kitty yeah. book that's about... Oh, like like them talking through stuff. Yeah. Okay. Or like figuring Especially- out like how to outline a mutant religion and what does that mean and... Um, and there was like another religious element in X Men Twelve this week that I thought yes was interesting. Yeah, that, that, so, so like that's what got my mind thinking about yeah. it. That's a really that's a cool theory. I don't know if that's true, but I hope it's true because I want that book. Hell, <laughs> do you have a? I think I'm gonna lean closer to Sean, but also pepper in a little bit of Marco, and that my character is blue. I wonder if this will be a mystique book where we see her pissed off that she can't get uh, her lover, who I, I, her wife, I think they did get married or something. Wife, yeah. Uh, who, whose name I can't remember, but Xavier and Magneto won't resurrect her for reasons. Uh, and so she decides to bring the whole fucking thing down. What the hell is her name? Start with a C, I think. Oh, jeez. Uh, 
Destiny. Yeah, Catalyst. Destiny. Yeah, there you cool. go. Yeah, you were you were there, Irene. That's how I remember. Um, because that was what they called her on the X Men Evolution show, and she was just like a normal blind person. <laughs> um. Man, yeah, that's a thread that I feel like we haven't had any movement on. In, like, I don't even remember the last time we saw Mystique in something. Well, yeah, they've, they've definitely taken her off the board. And that is, like, if it weren't what I said, which, honestly, I think that that's probably more accurate, Kill. Um, we need it. We need we need to further that storyline. Yeah. So hopefully it is something like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see uh, some mystique activity in X of Swords. What if it's Mrs. and Mrs. X and it's about Mystique and Irene? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> so we'll leave the speculation uh, for later. Hopefully we do have some answers as we get into the X of Swords event. Something that we have been asking questions about is now finally answered, and that is what is going to happen to DC Universe streaming service with the launch of HBO Max. And now we know that it will be relaunched as DC Universe Infinite Woo! come 2021. Oh, okay. Love it. About yeah. time. I've been on this train for a while. So... Uh, now they 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 are removing all of the video elements from DC Universe and moving it over to uh, HBO Max. A lot of that stuff has already happened. There are some key notable absences, but for the most part, they have all the stuff that uh, DC Universe has had. Um, and now we're just going to go ahead and relaunch it. DC Universe Infinite is going to be the home for their comics. Uh, they're going to have all their digital first stuff. Um, they're changing the window of availability from, mm. from when a book hits the store to when it hits the app. It's actually now going to be six months as opposed to a year. year. Oh, okay. Um, it's about what Marvel does anyway. That's solid. That's not too bad. And... I think this is really funny. I got to say. <laughs> um, I think this is hilarious. You want to know what's hilarious? It's hilarious that the app opened and got relaunched before it was even globally available. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't think about that. That's funny. I mean, to, to your point, I agree with you. It's, it is funny that like... I think it speaks to the broader lack of organization that we've discussed at DC and like Warner proper, um, where it just it feels like there's a lot of initiatives and ideas at play that clash and and represent the fact that there's been a changing of hands in the last several years in a lot of different places, you know, where there's like things that were launched under one regime that then is swept out and then now they're trying to clean things up and You've seen that across like multiple levels of the company over the last couple of years. So it's not surprising to see that that stuff like this is happening and feels like you're getting whiplash. But in the same breath, it's like it's still silly to see like one of the biggest media companies in the world like feel like they can't get their shit together. But that said, I think this is a really, really brilliant move. And I think it was, in fact, the only move. Uh, because the DC Universe app as it existed was like, it made no fucking sense. 
because a like I don't I don't think it was a, a ever a good value prop for what you were getting for how much it was. Um, but also you're kneecapping HBO Max, which is their big Disney Plus competitor streaming play, and you have some of your probably most attractive exclusive IP on this other competing service that also has some comics on it. It's like why? Like why are you like why segment these things in these weird ways? Like you have to either have everything in one place or segment it by the kind of media that it is, right? Like people who want to watch exclusive you know Warner Brothers content, they know that HBO Max is the place to go. It only makes sense to have the DC shows there. They're going to do better numbers there. The like shows like Swamp Thing might have, you know, not gotten canceled because they'll have a bigger pool. Yep. You know, like it, it these shows were languishing on the DC app, even if they were good shows. And now they won't. And I think that trying to balance what you're offering there made it so that the comics offerings weren't that appealing either. Because there wasn't enough. And if you're like a regular reader, like you probably read all this shit already. And if you're not a regular reader, why do you want a comic book app? You know? Like this feels like it's going to serve people that want to read DC books digitally better. And especially with the knowledge that we know that now they're like, hey, we're pushing this new digital initiative where we're going to have all these digital first books. You know, we talked about um, – uh, uh, what's the imprint? The, the stuff that Static's Black from. Label? No. Oh, oh um, Milestone. Milestone. Yeah. yeah, like Milestone is going to have a bunch of these digital first books and like – all this, all this stuff is like a new initiative at DC to really push digital. Well, this is a fucking great way to do it, right? You got an app; it's all right there. You don't have to. Yep. You don't have to fuck with Comicsology. Come to us. You get the DC app. Like, and, and and that's something that I think is like the next step that they should do is why why push it through Comicsology? Why not just give you the option to buy it here? I think the because um, I, I was thinking about this when um when they announced it i'm like well all right for one, for one thing what does that mean for my membership like from a cost perspective it's going to stay relatively the same um it's going to be they're going to have it at 7.99 a month yep. or the 75 dollars a year which I, I already i already paid that and for me to, to your point being like I, i'm somebody who has transitioned pretty much fully to digital and if um with the exception of onslaught and if um <laughs> If if I want to continue to like dig deeper into the history, look at books that are no longer in stores, like I can't get, for example, um, what is it, uh, Amethyst, right, in physical, like th- that that's hard to find, especially the '80s stuff. Like I can't I can't necessarily find that, but I want to dig into it, and I think it's advantageous for those kinds of people. Um, but I was trying to figure out whether or not it would make sense for them to sell direct, and I had mixed feelings because. If it's going to be there in six months, I can wait the six months. But if I definitely want to read it and be part of the conversation, I still have that that opportunity. And maybe it'll come in a little bit cheaper than if you were to sell via a comicsology um, or on the stands because, well, they don't need to make as – they don't need to sacrifice as much of a cut in order to, like, yeah, to produce Yeah, they get 100% as well of that as, revenue. Exactly, right? So where where from here does this continue to go, especially if the focus is, well, we're going to go digital first? Um, so I think that for me has been the biggest advantage of it. Um, obviously losing the shows that all, that all makes sense. It's all transitioning over to HBO max. And, uh, my hope is, you know, w- with the better budget that they get and the better production quality of a lot of those shows, um, that, that are produced from HBO that sort of bleeds into the stuff that comes into for like Harley Quinn, for, 
potentially if they this one becomes big i think it's coming out and let me see they like on october um is uh, that confirmed it's coming back uh, well, uh, not for the second season, but they're going to do the first season on the CW. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, and, and especially if that's like everything that from a digital perspective for HBO, they're trying to push out content and a DC-related content. It makes a lot of sense. I think this should have been handled better because it's a little it's a little frustrating, but yeah. um, I think... The the outcomes are going to be, especially if they continue in this trend and continue to to build on it. I think it's going to be super advantageous for either somebody like me who's who's been on it from the get go, or somebody who's looking to to just join in. I, I the price is also very attractive. I think um, it's it's not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. But if right. you are someone who reads digital anyway, um, it's worth it. Yeah, if you read two titles from DC a month, it pays for itself. Yep. You know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty cool. I think I think there's a lot of potential here. A lot of potential for this to be a really good move for them. It's just a matter of, like, can they optimize it and can they make it something that, like, people want to engage with? Like, you know, um, we saw that with, like, the Crunchyroll app, you know, um, or not Crunchyroll. What's the one? Oh, um, Shonen uh, Jump, right? Shonen, Shonen Jump. Yeah, yeah and, Shonen like, they, you know, that really popped off. Um, and I think that's yep. been doing well for them in a lot of markets. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, like, like at it, on its face, I think it's a good idea. It's way more interesting to me to think, like, where is this in six months? Where is this in 18 months? You know? Um, and what are the things they, they continue to iterate and bring to the table to, like, make it a more attractive offer? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you know, again, I think this is for the – this is definitely for the initiated fan. And somebody mm-hmm. who's maybe trying to get more into it, like where else can you find all 534 issues of the 1940 Batman as well as the 692 issues of Detective Comics? You know, like it's just a lot. Yeah, that's something like if you bought they, it, it would be a big collection, and it would cost you a couple hundred dollars probably. You know, to get the whole right. thing. I can't even watch the DC Universe app on my TV. What do you mean? Like, there's no, there's no, there's um, no thing for your smart TV or whatever. Nope. Wait, yeah. you closed it? It's never been there. Wait, really? What kind of TV oh, do you have? Oh, oh, oh. I have a Samsung. Damn, for real? Big brand. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the biggest TV brand, right? So, like, it must not exist on any smart TV then. <laughs> I have a PS4. Can't watch it there either. Yep. Get that app. I tried app, to watch. Get that app on I tried TV. to watch. I tried to watch Young Justice on my computer and it didn't work. Well, you're in another country, so. I don't think I was when I was trying to watch it. So, moving along, a little more DC stuff. We talked about um, what's going to happen with Generations and 5G and all that jazz last week. And we do now have an update, quick update for you guys. DC has uh, announced an event called Future State for 2021. Uh, they they put up a, a little teaser on social media. Um, and so the Detective Comics 127 that we talked about, where it's like the old, the, the, the original Batman right. um, team, team up book. Uh, apparently at the end of that issue, there is a, um, there is a, a hanger that says continued in generations, future state number one. Okay. Sorry. So, is that one thousand twenty-seven? Yeah. Yeah. One thousand twenty-seven. <laughs> Not one twenty-seven. 
No, not 127. My bad. Um, so, yeah. So now we know about future state. Uh, we know it's coming. And Jim Lee did have some things to say as it relates to what 5G is or isn't or wasn't and uh, what we can expect. So he said, there won't be a project called 5G or a big reboot or whatever. We really want to focus on individual titles and organically build up individual characters over the course of the next year. We had a lot of great ideas that were floating around. And rather than dumping it all in one month and renumbering the line and going for that really short-term spike in, in sales, we just naturally gravitated to the story ideas and concepts we love and building them into the mythology, the ongoing mythology, in a very organic way. If you're waiting for 5G, you're going to have to wait a long time because it's not going to happen. But <laughs> if you're waiting for big develop, I know, if you're waiting for big developments in the DC universe, <clears throat> pretty big ones in 2021 across the board. But again, it's spread out and approached organically when it makes sense within a particular title. So not everything has to tie into a big epic event all at once. Jim Lee just said, no, fuck that. We're not doing that. Uh, it's just like, how are you going to tell me <laughs> that 5G was never what we thought it was? Uh, like, no, it definitely was. It, it definitely was. We already, we literally saw the massive poster board that Dan Didio had that had all the different generations and all the connections and things like that. We know about the Age of Mysteries. We know about the Age of Crisis. We know about all those books. Bro, so how can you say it wasn't what, what we thought it was? I read Doomsday Clock where you gave me a fucking elevator pitch for it at the end of that book. <laughs> what, are you kidding me? Yeah. It doesn't exist. Think that was Dr. Manhattan explained it to me. <laughs> you think that was Jeff Johns' organic idea? To just do that out of the blue? No, Fuck it was no. a mandate, of course, because that's where they were going at the time. It's ridiculous. And, you know, you talk, Pete, about uh, DC not really feeling like they have their house in order. And on the comics end, it really, like, it really feels like, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Like, you had the entire coronavirus period. To and then they dumped Dan Didio to figure out what's going to happen. So they they didn't they didn't want to say okay let's scrap all this, but they also didn't want to do it outright. So here we have this mishmash of stuff that's left over from what they were doing with Dan. That now they're saying okay, so we're going to just like repackage it and call it you know, future state or repackage it and call it, you know, generation shattered or whatever it is. And it's like, I'd rather not get any of it at this point because it's so confusing. And maybe it's my fault for knowing things I shouldn't know, but you also definitely showed me things deliberately on purpose in Doomsday Clock and in, um, in, uh, oh my God, there was some other thing in the free comic book day that they put out like, so what is it then? Am I stupid and am I wrong? Or are you like sending me mixed messages? I mean, they're definitely sending mixed messages, right? Like I think it's clear as day that they they pivoted. You know, like they right. they had this this like thing planned 
and there were teases and rumblings and people knew about it and there was an overwhelmingly negative reaction amid them changing hands, you know, both creatively behind the scenes and from, you know, on high from, you know, Warner Brothers and and what have you and and like that's not an idea that I think goes over well if you don't have somebody who is A liked and B bankable to shepherd it cuz it's a gamble. Like it's it is and it isn't, I guess, because at the end of the day, even if you shake everything up, you can always set the reset button and bring back Bruce Wayne and everybody be happy. But I think like if if I'm like a suit at Warner Brothers and I don't fuck with comics and I'm like, what, you're gonna get rid of Bruce Wayne and make it some young black kid I've never heard of? No, that won't sell. Right? Like it it doesn't even matter if it would. Right? Like it's 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 a non conventional wisdom move to do five G. Um and when you're fucking reshuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, nobody wants to take risks. Nobody wants to do something that's not a conventional wisdom move right now. So it totally makes sense. They're like, all right, well, we got a certain amount of way into these ideas. Some of these things are probably salvageable. We have all these sub brands that we can shuffle things off to make it an Elseworlds, make it a this, make it a that, whatever. We'll see what sticks. And then in six months, when we decide that we're going to reboot everything again, we keep the things that work and we throw out everything that didn't and we set a new status quo and everybody will buy the new number ones or whatever when we decide to do that eventually. You know, they don't really give a shit. Like, it's like you got to just try to fucking like lean into the skit at this point because it's careening, you know, like the direction is already fucked. So, salvage whatever you can and fucking pick your legs up and move on. Like, that's, I feel like, what they're doing right now, you know? is like, look at the stuff with fucking, what happened with Batman, right? And the way that they, like, knock Tom King off, make his book end in a black label thing, bring in a transitional, like, run in the meantime while we get to the big one that's coming eventually. You know? I feel like that's just, like... You can take that example and apply it to the entire line right now. And not even just the line. Look at the fucking apps. Like, they're restructuring everything. They're changing the way they're doing literally everything. Even to the day that they put out their books. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything to add, but I just feel like this whole thing, like, I'm just over the, the lack of cohesion at DC. And I know that comics operate, like, far in advance. And even farther in advance now because there was a small pause, even though I guess DC really didn't pause that much. Um, but uh, still, it's like, get your stuff together. Like, yeah. I want to love the books, but there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. Yeah, from, it's clearly from, just a shit show. From Warner to DC to the movies, just get your shit together. These titles are just terrible. Future state that logo 5G. I gotta say, yeah, 5G was a terrible fucking name, too. But yeah, the the logo that they're teasing for this, I'm like, oof, this looks like so generic. Did you guys, but did you guys make the connection? Um, less COVID cases and lack of 5G. Well, I'm just saying, that's a good point, Marco. Less (laughs) tests, less cases. (laughs) <laughs> you got it man less phones alright we got two big books to review so we're going to jump right into that and we're going to kick things off with giant size X-Men Storm nothing but X let's do this shit X-Men 5G let's go 
uh, giant size. Now, the last time we had Hickman and Dodderman together, we got giant sized uh, Jean Gray, uh, Jean, Jean, and, and Emma. Oh, that's right. And that was fire. So here we have the team reunited: Hickman, Dodderman, uh, Matthew Wilson, uh, Aranya Weher, and of course Tom Muller, always credited on designs. Uh, so this was uh, an interesting book. This is the the team of Monet and um, oh god, what is this dude's name? Uh, Doug Douglas Doug Cipher 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 Cipher. Thank you. Um, what's his last name? Ramsey. Yeah, yeah Douglas, Douglas Ramsey. Ramsey. Yep. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and they need to figure out just what the hell is going on with Storm. Her techno flu. <laughs> techno. Technovirus. Huawei <laughs> COVID. <laughs> they link up with, with Phantom X. Uh, welcome to see him back. And a random AIM, uh, <laughs> random AIM employee <laughs> to go into the world and try to see if they can see what they can see, what's going on with Storm. What do you guys think of this issue? I love this issue. And I... I really think a huge part of it is how much I really just like Russell Donnerman's art. It's mm. so good. I love, love his character models. Like, there was um, a page I pulled out because I wanted to just call out, like, how much I liked it. Uh, it's the, it's like one of the first pages of the issue where, like, Storm is talking with Jean and Emma. And, like, Emma, you know, makes the comment about how like it doesn't really matter if she dies and you can just like rebuild yourself and make some adjustments or whatever and the look on Jean's face where she's like emma what the hell she's literally trying to say what the hell like it just it's it perfectly encapsulates like how i feel like she would react to that you know and it's like just such a it's such a good expression and i think that's what i like about about their art so much is like how well they capture those like tiny you know, human expressions. Like how pissed Storm looks in that. Like her lip is like a little bit snarled, like a little pursed, you know? Like she's just like fucking asshole, you know? And I don't know. I love that. That's one thing I was going to say is there's a lot of close-ups and facial facial work happening here. Yeah. And it's all very good. Now, I want to make an observation. I don't know if if I'm out of bounds, but this is what I see. Am I the only person who thinks that Jean Grey, particularly in this panel, actually looks like Pete's uh, fiance Sarah? In that panel uh, specifically? That yeah. might be wishful thinking, bro. Wishful thinking? What the hell? Why would that be wishful thinking? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me, pervert. I just, I don't know. I just see it. It's kind of weird. Sean's wish is that my fiance looks like his biggest comic book crush, of, of course. Now, I, I could see it, I guess, a little bit with the hair, and also she definitely looks at me like that when I say things. What the hell? Lot, so. <laughs> oh, God, the lights just went out. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's what you get, man. Jess, My foot Jess was on the like, button, and I didn't realize. Oh, I was going to say, I thought Jess was listening, and she's just like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I like any time we get to go into the world. Uh, I think it's an awesome place, unlike our world, which sucks. Um, what was the world I, again? It was that. So the it ahead. was an X Factor. Remember? 
It was an X Force. X Force. Totally different. The place. world. So Pete, so Pete doesn't know either. Off to a great start. <laughs> the world is a hyper advanced pocket uh, pocket world where the weapon plus program takes place. Um, so Phantom X is a sentinel and he's a product of the world. Um, and several other characters are as well. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we get a lot, a lot of fun in the world. One of the coolest moments and something that I actually had questions about was, uh, Doug and Warlock teaming up, which we've seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And, but in this instance, I'm not sure if the idea, well, no, they clearly see that he does this, but no one, no one questions that him and Warlock are together. Whereas, you know, before there was like, like a lack of awareness about that. I feel it seemed to be a big secret. Right. Uh, and I think we, I think we hypothesized that it, it might have something to do with like the, the, the far future in, Hox, Pox, whichever, you know, whichever it may have been Pox, uh, and the, the techno organic virus stuff, uh, that's like suspiciously close to what, uh, Warlock is. Uh, and we've seen in the couple of places where Warlock and Doug have popped up that like, uh, yeah, it may have been like X-Men 1 where we're following Cyclops around Doug. Krakoa and Warlock are chatting and yes, Cyclops shows right. up and Warlock isn't there anymore. So it, it seems like it's something that maybe isn't supposed to be, but is, or it's a secret or it's a secret to certain people. Yeah. Cause it seems pretty open here. Yeah. Yeah. That but, did strike me as odd. Um, which is weird. Cause like, I feel like, and, and maybe I, I brought it up at, uh, when we had mentioned at that point, but, They've they kind of like have always been together, even from some of the older stuff. Like I, I feel yeah. like I've always seen them two in particular as like a pair. They are. Yeah. The the reason why it's it's striking now is because you know they're not really letting non mutants on Krakoa, and Warlock clearly has more of a role in terms of how. Doug has been teaching and interacting with the actual land Krakoa, the entity Krakoa, right. that anyone is aware of. And that's why it's so uh, interesting. Now, there's there's cool action and stuff. You know, they, they have to fight um, the world's defenses and things like that. But the major beat of the story is that it shows us that they're able to allegedly cleanse storm of this you know tech virus that she is infected with i don't believe that she's actually cured haven't we seen a uh, a preview of something coming up where she's like a, a super goddess or something yeah more so than usual <clears throat> she's one of the or at least it, it's a striking um similarity to to her that we see one of the characters one of the villains from x of swords uh actually has like it looks just like her so i had i had a theory there <clears throat> i think um 
I think it's one of two things. I think either what you're putting down is, is correct, Sean, and that she's not totally cured and that there's some remnant or something and that's going to like mess with her and that's how she turns evil. Or that the conversation um, that we see happen between uh, Cypher and the, the intelligence is something that's going to come home to roost where that intelligence like maybe like takes the shape of storm because it was bonded yeah. with her for so long. And it's like a symbiote kind of situation. Um, and it's like not actually storm. That could be the thing. Um, but then I wonder why we wouldn't have seen storm in the promo images with the rest of the X-Men. Cause I don't, I think she's missing from that one lineup of all of them with swords, but I'm not sure. Well, maybe it just didn't get a sword. It's, it's highly likely that they would deliberately not show her regardless to keep the, mystery going sure right um but yeah i just i just don't know if i believe that she's fully cured uh storm is a very confident person in general but there was just something about her dialogue like she says that's better i'm back to full strength um it just i don't know it just gave me this like you know different energy but storm all throughout this book like was was really um badass like when they're debating about what to do and she's just like not having it um, All about payment yeah she's like they're the two of you are money. haggling yeah. while my life lies in the balance i'm putting an end to this now I, uh, so yeah that was another one of the pages i wanted to call out for the art just because that was fucking rad that shot with the you know there's the cocoon in the background as like the thunder yeah. claps it's like she just looks in- intense yeah it's <sighs> it's it's incredible that you know we get to look at this you know like Mm -hmm. daughterman is just so talented and these these panel layouts are so um they're exciting and they're so dynamic uh like every single page is just insane you know there there are there are barely any pages that are structured uh traditionally Mm-hmm. they're all like pop-ins or um you know like just just very different structures with uh the the full page having some type of art in the back and then these pop-ins that show you like the closer moments and things like that it's just it's just wild wild stuff that he's doing here it's so dynamic you know like it, it um we often talk about and i know sean you always call this out of like what's special about comics is like how it can show movement, you know? And I feel like the use of the pop-ins, um, particularly in moments that aren't about action is really cool. Like there's one of like storm on the ground and there's like three pop-ins of her face. Um, so it's like showing her, like opening her eyes as they're talking to her. And then it's like the cutout of like that, that moment in the context of where they are and how that communicates, the smallness of that moment and then also gives you as the reader context for where they are in the broader event that you're seeing happen. It, it's just like, it, it, it's hard to kind of articulate, but it's, it's the difference between an artist that communicates a story like this versus um, some other books we've, we've read where it's like, I get lost in the moment or you get lost in the action because it's not clear what's happening and it's not clear where you are in the moment. Um, and you never, ever have that problem. 
uh, in this or any of the stuff that I've I've seen by Donnerman, um, because it's so, it's just so like dynamic and like you you, you said it really pops, and and I feel like uh, it's tough to to like match this kind of thing if you're not you know it's just like a really really good artist showcase book. Well, speaking to what you what you mentioned, those panels, like if you were watching a movie, the way this would be represented is that uh, the camera would be over Storm. It would be at her face. And these beats would be represented through the, the organic passing of time that you would see on the screen by her having her eyes closed and then kind of like, you know, slowly opening them and then fully opening them. And he's able to get that across. It's that same idea. It's just played out here through panels and you still get the beat. You still get the moment of like, is she okay? And then it's like, okay, she's coming too, but is she okay? And then you see her eyes open. And the biggest moment there is that you see that some of the virus is actually like off her face. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it tells you not only is she alive, but that she appears to be recovering. Um, and so I, I love any time an artist uses this medium to give us those types of cinematic moments, but in this, but in the unique way that only comics can do. Um, but yeah, so I, I really love this issue. I think it was brilliant. I'm, I'm here for any time that uh, Doug Ramsey comes along for one of these silly missions. Uh, obviously he doesn't really like his powers are not physical so it's just funny but because he was allowed to actually interact with warlock here it was actually formidable um, i liked him as a comic relief in this issue too yeah. like him and phantom x both i thought had a lot of good lines like we called out that same page with storm and like the thing with phantom x was like so you are paying because that's all i was asking for like that whole back and <laughs> forth was was really good and like felt true to that character and how I how I understand him to be, um, but like when Doug was like, uh, he's like, yeah, I don't I don't understand why they don't send me into the field more often. I'm so good in these situations. Like, I, you know, I don't know. Like that really that got me. <laughs> yeah, Hickman's dialogue was so on point in this issue. Even uh, with Ned, the the aim guy, um, Storm's like, you know, do you want your money? And he's like, he's so fascinated by everything he's seeing. He's like, I don't need it. You keep it, spend it, whatever. Just don't give it to charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really good. <laughs> There's a lot of really cool moments. And I feel like the giant size books in particular have been, you know, they're telling whatever story they're telling, but they're very uh, small casts and they're looking for opportunities to just have really great character work alongside tremendous dialogue hmm. or tremendous art rather. Yeah. I mean, this is like the one that I feel like had the most dialogue of any of these and uh, yeah, it worked. That nightcrawler one was pretty heavy. That one was, yeah, that was a little verbose. I, I what else does Dotterman work on? Like I want, I want Otterman on a monthly, one of these books monthly, <laughs> really bad. We talked about this before. Uh, he worked on Thor with Jason Aaron. Right, That's okay. the most notable thing he's done so far. Um, and I'm sure we'll see him more often in the future. I hope so. I feel like I heard not that long ago that he was doing an indie project. I don't remember anything about it, but. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I was really impressed with the, like, I loved that Gene and Emma issue. Um, 
and mm. I was super super excited to see uh, to see that they were back on on this one as well. So I uh, I definitely want to see more from Russell. So the last thing to really uh, talk about is the the very very last page, which is Doug speaking to you know whatever this is conscious um yeah the virus itself right that's what i thought it was i thought it was the virus yeah yeah now i believe that that is the beginning stages of getting into like the the super tech stuff that we saw in powers was it called the technarchy the technarchy yeah yeah now um the world is time in the world passes faster than it does in our space and again it's super technologically advanced so what's going to happen when this thing uh stays there for some time what happens when it gets out yeah that's what I, I'm really intrigued by. I'm interested if that's like a thing that's going to be imminent, like we think. Is that is that a X of Swords thing, or is that like a longer no. thread? No, that's a long game. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's a, a much longer thread from now, and it, it really makes you wonder, like, how much time does Hickman plan to spend with the X Men because he has laid so many threats? Yeah, that you know need to be dealt with. I mean, I hope for a while. I, I would definitely love to see this play out over the course of, like, a couple years. Um, just, More than that. Yeah, I mean, just because I feel like this is such a cool era for the X-Men, and I really don't want it to be... I know we talked about this in the very beginning, and, like, this was a thing that Marco was banging the drum for. We're like, I just don't want this to be, like, a flash in the pan. You know, I really want this to be a thing that establishes a new status quo for the X-Men and, like, who they are. Even still, his run on Avengers was four or five years. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, did exactly that. So hopefully we can see the same thing here. I mean, you got to imagine it's it's something like that because this was their play to keep him, you know, mm. uh, from going to DC. So, like, I'm sure they're giving him the keys as long as he wants them, especially because the books are selling. So why not, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's let's talk about X Men number twelve. Let's do it. And uh, wow, what the hell happened in this book? This was really really thick. Yeah, it made uh, it made Lanil you quit. Whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is this is actually used last uh, interior art design uh, work on this title. He'll continue with covers, but uh, this is his last issue. <clears throat> so yeah, there's that. This issue was dense and it was info dumpy. Yeah. Um, a lot happened. Now, I feel like I have a decent grasp on what actually occurs. So I will try to start by breaking down what I believe happened here. Now, we get Apocalypse speaking to his grandson, Summoner, about the history of Arako and what happened with all that. And so what I am understanding is that um, 
Amenth is this world, this like dimension that um, becomes accessible in a in a in a two uh like a like they, we're accessible to them they're accessible to us type of way right um hmm. and like a, like a boom tube kind of a thing sure yeah for a lack of and, an example mm-hmm. and these you know demons or what whatever from this other place now came and there was this huge war and things like that apocalypse dipped and left it to his wife and you know, his wife Genesis and you know all these other people um, to to deal with. And then at some point they realize that they're not going to be able to win. Like they're overwhelmed. They're, it's not going to happen. And so she makes a play to go and have a one-on-one fight with uh, with their with their leader. Uh, annihilation and she loses and when she loses they get invaded so because she loses they had all these like towers and spires and things that were keeping the amenthi at bay but they're legion so they just keep coming and coming and coming genesis goes to try to fight their leader one-on-one because there's no way they're going to win otherwise she falls and summoner gets out of there to he uses the portal to come to Krakoa to plead for help, but he doesn't actually know what is uh, the state of uh, of Arako now that he left. And so, what Apocalypse has been doing, and and by the way, some of this is from is actually from Excalibur twelve. So if you didn't read that, you will be missing certain pieces. Um, but it, you'll you'll notice Apocalypse has like this. Um, it's on page um, page twenty four. He's built a portal mm. to go to. Um, uh, they, they they need to go to Arako, and right. this portal will let them do that. It's a portal through Otherworld that they will be able to use to get to Arako to try to help and see what's going on over there. So that's what that's what happened in this book. So my my biggest question was: Is this like canonical apocalypse history? Because I, I'm I, I don't know this as like anything of um, I don't know this as like the character any part of the characters like like Byer, like like I just assumed he was always on Earth. This is this is all new that they're sort of adding onto the character of apocalypse. This is all new, um, but he was never not on Earth. In, like in terms of what we've discussed here, as far as I'm aware, maybe I'm mistaken. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I guess I just I just assumed that it was all like con- contained within like Egypt and stuff. So I guess this is like prior to even that stuff. Yeah. That you that was the impression that, that I was. Survive. Like yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Because Summoner he, he made means... a comment about how he was the first of the second generation of mutants, and right. our understanding is always that he's the first mutant. So mm. my thought is that. Yeah, like the second generation of mutants that we understood to be the first was when he came to Earth. Because mm-hmm. he did. Well, or when he, he, when he went came to. Yeah. yeah. When he left the island of. Um, of uh, Korra? Yeah. 
whatever that. I'm so lost. But but no, because like Okora, Okora was originally both both um, Krakoa and Araka one. Yes, yes. And when it got split, that was when there was the. But he yeah, so he leaves uh, Araka. I see. I see. Yeah, and Mm. goes to what we know to be like the rest of the world. Right. And yeah. Yeah, that so that specifically that caption uh, says you were Apocalypse, the great the great receder, the first mutant of the second generation of mutantdom on okay, Earth. Okay, right. So I think this all still happens on Earth, where Krakoa is, where Araco is, but then Araco got pulled through this where portal th- where they both are slash were. Yeah, yeah. The po- the point being that. Uh, it, it's Earth. This whole thing has been Earth. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 100%. Now that we have established what the hell happened, uh, I have to say that, like, even, like, first of all, I didn't understand this by reading this. I understood this by doing a combination of reading and also, like, reading comments, seeing what other people have to say, <laughs> because. Th- this shit was crazy, and there were so many people who were also confused by what t- takes place in this issue. I don't think that Jonathan Hickman should have done this like this. I think mm. that there was 12 issues or 11 other issues you could have used to tell a portion of this story. I don't feel like it needed to all be done in one issue. Like, did we need to see, you know, the old ladies and all that extra stuff when this was coming, I feel like there was time and he didn't take it. My, my yeah. whole thought for this was, man, I would love for this to be a series yes. so that I could sit here and understand it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, I remember before the show, like I got done probably an hour before um, the show. So I was like sitting with my thoughts on it and I was like drafting a tweet that I never got all the way through, but I was like, there should be a word for this phenomenon in uh in like science fiction and fantasy where an author is trying to like catch you up on something so that you understand the groundwork to actually tell the story and they just start throwing proper nouns at you well but it's It's, like it's info dumping but it's worse than that i think with science fiction fantasy because there's so like when there's like it's this island and this island and they were this island and then they and they all have very similar names and that's part of why it's hard to follow is right like when sean sits here and breaks it down I don't think it's actually anything that's that complicated, but it's because there's so much just here's info, here's exposition with a bunch of words that you've never heard before and you don't know what they mean unless you understood it the first, like you get lost in it. And like, I don't think, I think Hickman doesn't usually have that problem. And I think it is because of what Sean said, where it's like, it was not, there was not enough time spent on this. Because when I think of other events that I've read by him, where there are a dozen science fiction-y proper nouns that I don't fucking understand, I hear them enough times over an elongated period of time that they become familiar, and I, I'm like, okay, I'm with it, right? Whereas with this, it's you get whiplash, because it's one issue, and you're like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, I thought I knew what these things were and what they meant, but now I'm getting new context for them alongside, to Marco's point, a rewriting of Apocalypse, who's a character that... I know pretty well a rewriting of his history. You know, it's like that could have been at least two issues. Yes. And and I think that was my big thing was like, this could have been definitely two issues, two, three issues, even to like really get in the, the, like the, the concepts. Cause I think, I think he's, 
Hickman's done an excellent job of pacing so far, but then for for whatever reason, this felt like he had to rush this in for something. And and I I'm assuming it was potentially the X of Swords stuff because there's mention of this one there's character. There's a lot purity. of swords in this one. There's a lot this of swords. This is the lead in. Yeah, and like if if he knew to your point, like he knew that he had to lead into that. This should have been maybe like a separate, you know the prelude or this this could have been broken out into you know, the 13th issues where we start to actually bleed into this stuff but it it's odd because it sort of suffers from a lack of show don't tell even though there was a lot of showing but there was just so much information that you had to condense multiple things into the same panel um like there there are moments where you have to talk about genesis fighting but then also losing and the army falls silent, but it's all just one panel and they introduced six years later, they came back and all this stuff we had been talking about happened. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, you you can, you, you kind of see it happening, but it's, it's in such these, these large timeframes that it doesn't do it actual justice to contextualize it across what you're seeing on the page. Um, and just, it, it comes off confusing. Um, so I don't know. This was. Uh, I'm I'm glad we we sat here and like workshopped through it. But for somebody who doesn't have as much history and presumed a lot of this was like apocalypse history that wasn't like a rewrite, I was like, oh fuck, where am I? Like, where am I? So this is actually one of the things that people complain about when it comes to Hickman. And, you know, Pete, you mentioned um, not feeling that way with other stuff that he did, but I would challenge that if you were reading those books as they were releasing, you would have felt the same That's a, because I was reading them and I felt the same. That's a good point um, because I did um, have the benefit of being able to read it all at once and to like look things up if I had questions. Yeah, like I, I definitely remember being super confused about the A-Lefts and the Builders yeah. and yep. all that extra crap from Avengers yep. and New Avengers as it was taking place um, and incursions. Like I'm learning new words now. Like it's just, it was just nuts. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and with this, it's actually worse because all of that basically started with a number one, whereas here – uh, if you look at what was happening in issue 11, that was the Empire tie-in, right? right yeah. And then if you look at issue 10, that was also an Empire tie-in. And issue 9 was the the freaking um, – The, uh, Ch- the oh, Chitauri egg or – no, I think it's – Not the Chitauri, the, the, the brood. brood. The brood stuff. Mm. So like he, he had to do the Empire stuff and I understand that. Maybe that impacted him. But the brood stuff like – that is not a factor. So it's just, you know, I understand that he may have been pressed, but I also feel like there was a better way to ease people into this, especially because House and Powers, as dense as they are, I feel like they were much more effective at conveying lots of new information. Yeah. I never felt overwhelmed. Yeah, you know? they benefited from the from the time that they were in between issues and how much information he put into each issue. Yes. Yeah. Well, well and I, the um the the uh the info bits, the white pages yeah. that Hickman does in Hawks Parks were tremendously helpful in each issue. In this one and the couple that we've seen with this character in particular, uh, the Summoner, they've been useless. They're very yes. vague. 
I I know that for me, like like exposition as story, um, I struggle with that. Like yeah. I kind of want my exposition to just be like, yeah, just put it on the page, the white page. I'll read it. That's fine. Uh, but when it's a, when it's story, then you have to like follow the trail, the thread of the story throughout the images and the verbiage. And he's trying to do a good job of, a, of, of, you know, the narrative itself. And it's like too much. Whereas the infographic pages are typically just flat information. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think I might have preferred at least as a companion piece. To yes. yes. Like, like, like this, this should have been the intro to like three pages there and after of text or something where it's like, well, this is what the history, this is where Akora was. And then something came and split it and like, identify each of the individual pieces and then get into some of like the meat of the story yeah but, shit right like giving us like remember the map they gave us of krakoa of like here's everything and where everyone lives and it, like I, I, that context. would have been super helpful in this for the how the three islands existed as one and broke and where they went and mm. oh yeah that would have been really illuminating if you're gonna give me a goddamn fantasy book give me a goddamn fantasy map it's true i need <laughs> maps yeah. So, but let's let's actually talk. I mean, we talked about what happens and and that um, there really isn't much in terms of uh, current day events that take place. Apocalypse does show Summoner the uh, external gate that he built, which him building that was crazy. And if you are curious, I recommend going back and reading Excalibur because there's a whole other layer to I gotta this. I up on that book before uh yeah and and we talked a lot about what is apocalypse angling at and is he good or bad and all of it was this this is what he was doing well he sent the summoner in with uh uranus the untouchable and banshee (laughs) uh so he can't be great yeah are they bad guys The, the untouchable guy and banshee I don't wait. What are you angling at? Banshee, the guy who screams a lot. Right. Banshee. The guy <sighs> he sent in someone who cannot be touched. And Banshee. You're gonna have to like you, lay that down. I think oh, it's pretty clear. What because the guy it's who, scary and they're gonna scream? Like, is that what you're saying? No. It's the opposite. The guy's gonna scream and big fucking deal. Okay. Oh, that they suck. Well, Banshee sucks. All right. Um, Wait, who's Uranus the Untouchable? I, hold on. How how are you guys not getting this joke landed? Somebody's gonna get it. <laughs> you got this joke. Bro, that this joke did not even take off. At, at John at at John Soapbox, write him in. No. John's Soapbox. John's Soapbox. What? Bro, I don't that know, shit got dude. stuck. At- that shit got stuck at the gate at LaGuardia. Like, that's what, <laughs> <I'm doing. laughs> what are you saying? Now that's a joke. <laughs> no, that's a joke. That landed. Oh boy. Um, yeah, so I I mean, what whatever Kale's laying down aside, I certainly <laughs> was um surprised to say the least at the choice. It felt like there were sacrifices. Um, ah. and that apocalypse, especially the way he looks at them, that apocalypse knows they won't be coming back. Um, and I wonder how, how many people are aware of what he is 
what he is doing here. Because Apocalypse through Excalibur has shown that he's willing to sacrifice literally anybody. Literally anything. Hell yeah. Agenda. Um, and I wouldn't at all put it past him to kill these two off. He killed himself. Like, he let himself die in Excalibur to further his agenda. But like, what, does it so, really matter if they die? Right. Um, probably not. Right? But it matters if this is not a known thing. It yeah. matters if Professor X isn't aware that they're dead. Also, what happens if the mutants are in another dimension? Can Professor X still um, have an awareness of their being living or dead? Because that's he, there's a scan yeah, that he does, right? right? Mm-hmm. To know. So what happens? Because they're, they're leaving Earth. Yeah. So w- what happens? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know. It's because it's like I guess I'm wondering like what his play even is at this point. Because it's like, is the play to does he want to go rule in Araco? Does he just want to save the mutants that are there and bring them to Krakoa? Like that's that's what I think because based off of like the way he's been trying to integrate the society, if and or like build up a society more so if if what he's if the goal is to bring them back and then bring those first generation of mutants and integrate them into what is now mutantdom, I think I think that makes sense for where his character is. I haven't been reading Excalibur, but from what I've seen of of his character in X Men, I think that's probably like the the end goal is continue to unify the the mutants. And if they're more like warfaring mutants, maybe that's a play. Hmm. Yeah. So. I'm convinced that he wants to integrate. Keep in mind, his wife is over there. She may be alive. Yeah, yeah. His family is... uh, You gotta imagine his family's over there. Yeah. Um, And there are so many possibilities, right? When you consider even if they had 20 mutants that that they were able to salvage or whatever that they brought over, that's so many new characters, so much new drama. I feel like from a narrative perspective, but then also, you know, just in terms of like what Apocalypse would want, it makes sense to try to bring them back. And I think that's what he's angling for. My question is, what is going on with Summoner? Because I don't trust Summoner at all. Me neither. Yeah, same. And I have to say, I think part of it is just the way that, um, that you draws Summoner. We're like, I just feel- I love it. He's mad shady. By I him. hate it, but I hate it because it's it's effective, and I think what it's trying to do, where it ma- it just makes me really fucking uncomfortable. Like yeah, that's exactly the panel I was about to call out. That fucking smile, it. yes, is so creepy. It's like, and I feel like the character is fifty percent less shady and unsettling when anyone else draws them. <laughs> See, and then you know the dialogue is so brilliant. I love. Uh, he tells him, um, sorry, wow, he tells him, um, Summoner tells Apocalypse, would you care to join in into the yeah. game? And Apocalypse mm-hmm. says, do I look like a player of games? And he says, yes, very much so. It's so indicative of where we are going. These two are not allies. Like, they're they're not. Right. And is Apocalypse a player of games? Yes, he is. He doesn't tell people the truth. Like, he, 
he doesn't tell people everything they need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that a lot in Excalibur as well, where he just he's just not. I mean, he 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 just he does a lot of bad stuff, but it's for good reasons. So I'm looking forward to the future. This book, I, it's hard to review as an issue in and of itself beyond the fact that it's just a massive exposition dump. I don't have a problem with what it shows us. What the story that's being told here by Hickman is is perfectly fine. This could have been a five issue mini in and of itself. Yep. This story, right? They could have enhanced the characters, really showed us who they are, added more players and things like that. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not that would have been worth doing. If these are going to be players, if Genesis is going to be a player, I would very much like to see her at war. I would very much like to see that battle between her and Annihilation play out for real. Those are things that are important. Yeah, I, I don't think Hard she is because there's a there's a moment where they say after she battles, they battled and Jenison was found wanting, defeated, unfit, and buried. So I'm assuming she's dead. Hmm. No, but then she comes back. But how? We'll see. I don't know. That's the story, right? That's the fucking problem, right? Is this issue no. did not communicate that to me. But she doesn't come back. I thought that it's they say that she was found wanting and then she she travels back. And they don't see them for six years, and then they show up, and everything's fucked up. No, this is the battle that she's buried, and with buried was their hope for all of Araco, the might of they. I might be, I might be getting mixed up in the timeline. <laughs> you're, no, you're then, right. It, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, then, then they just send um, Summoner back. Okay, yeah, no, you're. I think you're right. My bad. Well, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot. There's a lot uh, to to be explained, and there's a lot to come. So, I'm I'm into it. Uh, I'm sad that this is used last issue. We are getting Mahmoud Azrar uh, coming in. They have very different styles, so we won't be getting this. Like you know, like he's laying down thick mythology here. Uh, Hickman is, and I can't really think of a better artist in comics. Certainly on the Marvel side of things to draw a book like this you know um that has this almost like biblical intensity to it um you know it looks very uh these look these look like specific moments in time yeah rather than showing us uh like continuous action you know and Hickman, or you is very, very good at that you is very good at posing his characters and making what they're doing look larger than life that's what alex ross is very well known for as well obviously you is not ross they have different styles but that's one element that i notice across them both particularly i'm talking about the panel where annihilation and uh genesis are fighting and their swords cross yeah Um, like those kinds of moments the big towers the the kind of shit that you don't even know what's going on like it just it's done very well by you he's very good at that yeah, it makes it feel like it has gravitas, you know? Yep. Yeah. And again, oh, Summoner. Like, that face haunts my fucking nightmares. <laughs> so, uh, Axe of Swords creation number one drops next week now. Uh, it is a red title. Mm-hmm. So, uh, next week we're getting Juggernaut and creation. I'm very freaked out by the fact that Juggernaut drops the same week. But, uh, you know, whatever. We will absolutely be reviewing creation number one, and we're going to have lots of thoughts on that. 
Um, we also have something very, very special coming. Next week is the oh. Reverse Book Club. Woo! <laughs> yes, where Marco and Marco alone will regale us with tales of the absolutely terrible book he has been forced to read. Uh, what's it called again? Oh, yeah, um, Onslaught. I guess if you guys say it's terrible, then it has to be terrible, right? We'll have to we'll have to hear your book report. You'll have to convince yeah. me. <laughs> uh, so if you guys have any thoughts that you want to share with us about what uh, the books we reviewed today, those being, of course, Giant Size, Storm Number 1, and uh, X-Men 12, hit us up through all the usual channels, at the Comics Pals on social media. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you're on YouTube, you can leave us a comment with your thoughts. That's perfectly fine. But while you're there, drop us a like, subscribe to our channel, and share this video with your friends to let them know that we are out here, that you like what we do. Those things are free to do, and they help us out so, so much. Also, do leave us some kind of uh, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts at. Those those are super helpful. Five stars or you know whatever you think we're worth. <clears throat> Uh, so yeah, with that, let's get into some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to get some more content from me, you can hit up uh, loopots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Podcast. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Mario. So, uh, come check it out if you want to. Oh, and my band, Long Friend Time Friend. Uh, we have an album coming out. You can go check out our singles, uh, Mount St. Helens and Prior Eyes are both available on Bandcamp. Nice. There you go. Uh, Kale, you're back. Am I? You can find my work at kaleward.com, C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com, but don't come find me on Twitter and Instagram because I don't want to speak to you on those places. Instead, go support Letty Wilson's Kickstarter, Devilry. Uh, Letty Wilson is a longtime good friend of mine. Uh, she does the artwork for the show. She's a longtime collaborator. Um, incredible artist. Go support her Kickstarter. Um, she thought she was funded in six hours, if that means anything to you. It's going to be good. Uh, so go do that. Marco. I'm going to start with Phil. You can find him at uh, Cyborg Bebop. C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P. On Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me at Mr. Marco Nomoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about Dragon Ball. It's all I'm watching. It's all I care about right now for my Aminés. <laughs> and um, I think the next manga I'm going to watch is Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> awesome. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. You can hit me up to talk about your woes if you didn't get a PS5, because uh, I didn't. <laughs> um, Bro, you should try and pre on the lookout. I would have hooked you up. I've been I, I sh- keeping an eye on these links all day. I'm going to look for you now, bro. Well, uh, they actually put out a tweet saying that there would be more announcements coming real soon. They put it out in like an hour ago. Um, PS PlayStation admitting that they suck and that they would be better. <laughs> with the pre-order situation. So I'm confident I'll have one this holiday season, uh, but not under my Christmas tree, because who could wait that long? With that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.
We're not having a Christmas this year. Let's not kid ourselves. It's canceled. It is, because no one says uh, Merry Christmas anymore.